Because like the thing is the the millennial version of like the settle down with a job is um, you're getting fucked by previous generations. Yes. It's like uh, you don't own a house even <laughs> though you earn like $150,000 yeah, a year. You have done everything right and the world that you were promised was a lie. And, and now groceries are like four <laughs> times more expensive <laughs> than they were. I, lo- I love it so much. It's kind of like, what is the millennial version of that? The millennial version of that is that Crying there is no your couch. war but class war, comrade. <laughs> like that is, that's the millennial version <laughs> of that. All we have to lose is our chains. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Eat the rich. <laughs> Eat the rich. <laughs> Eat the rich is the millennial version of yeah, that. Yeah, Quoting Mark's on the mic now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Look, he had some hot <laughs> spicy takes. And a fucking beard that could just yeah. like, also, yeah. so, could I don't get think, it. I don't think he had it. So the Communist Manifesto is that a lot of people forget. Are you suggesting that Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto and didn't have a beard at the time? I am he suggesting that possibility. Years old. He was 28 yeah, years I, old. Dude, what? Could you no, not no, no, grow I, a beard at I 28? Did. <laughs> I could. But what I'm saying is I don't think he did. What? How are you getting? You're reading it, going. This doesn't have a beard. This doesn't have a beard. I'm vibe. accessing my zeitgeist here. I'm actually I'm feeling. You're gonna look desperately up. trying to find a young Karl Marx photo. Right <laughs> like, Karl this Marx is what's happening. the chronology. Could, could you just like... Google Karl Marx thirst trap? I mean, look at Engels though. Damn. That's what I'm saying. Um, look at this guy. Let's fucking go. And Engels was the one who was living by the end of it, going like, maybe we were wrong. But, <laughs> maybe. He, was the, but he was always the one that had that really like liberalized approach as well. Like that he he was not like as staunch as Marx was, which is about to be like a whole thing now. Had a staunch fucking beard. Um, but he was yeah, the one that Ma- wrote about the think... family, and he had like really like quite like proto feminist tendencies. Yeah, but I think even Marx by the end of his life was just like hating everything because he was trapped in London. Yeah, like like we're all poor. trapped, you know, not all of us in London, but we're all but yeah, trapped. So like, uh, yeah, the Communist Manifesto is not old man Marx with the old white beard is what I'm saying. It's a 28-year-old revolutionary. I said beard. All here's I said is that Karl Marx could get it. Why are you? Why are you I mean, he could get it, but here's that's not the point. a painting of apparently Marx and Engels. I can't tell who's who, though. It's going to be him with I, the I massive love it. dark in this beard. Painting, no, but Engels is the one with the is massive Is this just from Wikipedia? Beard. If you yeah. just go to the Karl Marx Wikipedia. Like, guys, do this. If you like, there's a picture of them, a painting of them, and it's just like, it really looks like Karl Marx is like holding out a piece of paper really far away like he forgot to bring his glasses. Like he's trying to read. Uh, yeah. the party, the uh, first what does part. this say? It looks like it says communism. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's what we're wait, all about. <laughs> he just thought he was writing a capitalist um, treatise this whole time. So this was, wait, a 75. It looks like a fair what exchange year, of goods and freedom ask, for the what individual. What did Marx die? I don't want to have to scroll back up. I think it was the 1890s, okay. I think. So how was it? Working class fuck buddies are comrades. Um, and, oh uh, my god! And that's, god. that's the joke I've decided to make that's today. A, how long were you sitting on that, or did that just come to you? <sighs> About ten seconds, <laughs> and before it was released, you guys I, didn't even react to my pun. What was huh. the pun? It's like, oh, did that just come to you? Ah, oh. uh, see, that's a better joke than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I won't be funnier than you on the mic. I know the rules. Yeah, the rules are. <laughs> Very um, hard to follow. I'm literally <laughs> trying to find a photo of young. I'm like, because they you didn't can, have cameras. Can, that's the problem. Because <laughs> you can find photos of young Joe Stalin, and that man oh, could yeah. get it. He, oh, are you he kidding took me? It, is what no, he, he was, he was a handsome look. He looks so creepy. The dude was kicked out of a fucking priesthood for like stabbing someone at age fourteen. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Okay, well, when you say that, it makes it less it nice. What was his actual? Yeah, he's quite. But I mean, okay, the thing yeah, is, no, he's quite good looking. Like, <laughs> if, there's, if there's a photo of a young Joe Stalin, right? Like, he's a quite good looking fellow, but he has like the cold, dead eyes of a family annihilator. Like, he's just like. You're right. He, you're that, right. that is a scary looking dude. Yeah, that like, guy's up this, to some shit. This guy is the behind his eyes. Look how thin his mustache is at this can age. Can you just zoom in on his face for me, just so I can. Just his eyes. One second, let just me get let real me. close to his eyes. Yeah, I, wanna, I need to. I want to. I want to look at those, close to those pearly greys. I want to. I want to see them. He changed his name, didn't he? Yeah. His name wasn't Joseph Stalin. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. yeah. His, his name is Joe Steele. Don't <laughs> zoom in on that. Wait, his name was Joe Steele. No, 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 no. Stalin means. means steel. Joe Steele. He was born. <laughs> well, that's in Russian. Communism. That's, it can't. was originally his stripper name. His oh. stripper name was Joe Steele. <laughs> this. Wait, Joseph. In, in another era, you would have been fucking just murdered for that. Vissarion like 100%. No more pierogi for you. era. <laughs> Later. Vissarion. Wait, I can't read anymore. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's oh, that. shit. On that note, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. Lennon always looks looked like he was shit posting. You know what Lennon I mean? Like, looks Lennon <laughs> always looks like he was shit posting. No, you know what I mean? He's like got this like constant what, like shit eating grin. What's Lennon's first name? Vladimir. John. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. John. John. John Lennon was shitposting. That guy was shitposting. Give communism a chance. <laughs> <laughs> what a fuckhead. <laughs> the most low-hanging fruit joke I could have made. Yeah, okay. That guy, he kind of looked like, like, love this teacher, but he looks like my year 12 on history He teacher. does look <laughs> like a, a history or chemistry teacher, doesn't Lennon. he? Lennon. Wait, and he does look oddly wait, huggable for a person responsible for a version of him with hair. Your conclusion, Sam, is <laughs> sure that Lennon looks like a high school teacher that is shitposting. Is, <laughs> is the conclusion you've reached? Yes, based on nothing but photographs and prejudice. That's uh, what prejudice. You prejudged oh. that he was <laughs> oh, that. The actual, the actual meaning of the word you prejudice. You you and you made assumptions. Well, I don't actually know what his profession was before he was Let me find taking out, him a post office. He was the, one of the main songwriters in the Beatles. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the what, Beatles started young. I don't know what to tell you about. Beep, 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 beep. He was a political the, theorist. Don't write a manifesto, John. Um, <laughs> hmm. You know what this network of Soviets needs, George? <laughs> <laughs> needs a supreme Soviet. <laughs> just choked well, to Soviet. coffee. Is it Soviet or Soviet, George? Is it George? Uh. George. <laughs> what do you think, George? <laughs> I don't Is care, it Soviet George. or S- Soviet, George? I'm over here writing better songs. He was basically, <laughs> his job was revolutionary. His job was revolutionary. So he was I wish, I, he wish got, I could get paid for that. He got kicked out of Kazan Imperial University for participating in protest against the Russian Empire's czarist government. Okay, fair And then enough. he moved to St. Petersburg and became a senior Marxist activist. And then he was just... Um, then so he, he was, was like he was Vladimir Lenin. He was him from such a young age. He was <laughs> handing out leaflets. He was the Lenin of his time. <laughs> The John or the Vladimir Lenin? Who, who can tell? Who could tell? Have you ever seen them in the same room? <laughs> <laughs> he no. grew back all well, the like, if, if you describe being <laughs> dead <laughs> as being elsewhere, then yeah, we have seen them in the same room. <laughs> That's if, actually the origin of the Liverpoolian accent is the Russian accent. Is the That's dead why. room? Oh, no, the, 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 <laughs> the Russian accent is the... They're all Russian. Okay. Well, I mean, I know that Russia. like Ringo actually did keep, he didn't, it was kept the beat, didn't he? It was like, it wasn't Russian at all. Is that why they sang back in the <sighs> USSR? Fucking oh, Jesus. Is that why they want to go back? Get back is what they want to do. To the USSR? Get back to the USSR. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, okay. So you haven't laid out your notes, and now I'm seeing why you haven't laid out your notes, Sam. It's because they're about two mil thick. How two? How many pages is that? Twelve. Twelve pages. Yeah. It's longer than. It's about to be. We're gonna, it's a lecture. It's longer than a short story. <laughs> I'll say that much. A short story about that. Maybe yeah. a little bit less, depending um, on the font size. I did. Well, I chose. Work count. I chose. I could. I mean, I literally could go get a work count for you if you'd like. But I, have said anything. Um, I chose a fun font. A, a little, font. A, a f- <laughs> a fun. Oh wait, did you do typewriter font I as well? Did. Oh my god! Oh, we both did you both did typewriter. Yeah, Consolas, which is the best one. That's yeah. a really smooth. So font. the reason that Samantha <laughs> has so many freaking pages of notes is because we're um, so covering to a topic today that is as big as it gets because it's infinite, and that is. <laughs> Space. Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. Bienvenidos. Willkommen and fucking g'day. Welcome to the Music and Everything podcast once again. My name is Jim. I'm here with Sam Gray and Sam Gray. What are the fucking odds? How are you guys? Good. I am well. Thank you for asking. You are welcome. That is not what you sound like. <laughs> when I'm on the microphone, my voice changes there. Sam will be returning to you soon. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's scary. Samantha what- has taken on the... Great and huge, enormous, weighty responsibility Massive, enormous. of chief investigator today, and is therefore wearing the chief investigator hat. Uh, good fucking luck to you. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> this this episode's Space. gonna go in one one of two ways. It's either going to be me giving you guys a lecture about space. Okay. Um, or <laughs> it just starts with how dare you? Uh, or it's going to be um, completely derailed immediately. Uh, I vote. <laughs> option so, B. My question is, where do you want to start in the infinite void? I would like to start. If I can, don't, don't just make a Uranus joke. <laughs> like, just straight away, don't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, just can you not? I, yeah. Look, how about I start with... Um, it's probably not polite to start there anyway. The infinite nothingness <laughs> is getting... <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. The problem is talking about space. It's like, where does one start? Maybe we, maybe we start with what is space? Uh, Oh, God, we're in for a ride. Okay. So I think think there was like a, one of the, one of the little dockers, I think it was a Neil deGrasse Tyson one. Boo. I can't remember. Boo? No, I'm not a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, He, just one of the things that he said, it was, it was along the lines of like a cool kind of like Carl Sagan-esque big statement that makes you go, oh, holy fuck. And it was like basically describing that it's just like there's, a, the, you know, this area out there that is so beyond our comprehension that all we can call it is space. Yes. <laughs> and I fucking love that. It's <laughs> yes, so cool. Space is like 99.99% nothing. And yeah. then like we are point, like we are one part of the 0.01% Yeah, Earth. right. So I thought maybe we'd start... <laughs> Well, now that we, we'll get That's to, great. We, anyway, we, we do, no, your feelings in your life are very important. Yes. Don't, uh, no, so we do have a section that is going to be titled, let me find it. We'll, we're not going to do it right what now. Title did you That's on? in chapter three of your notes. In chapter three of my notes. <laughs> oop, where is it? The endless existential expanse of the unknowable void. <laughs> That's where we're going. Okay. But let's start maybe with things that we know. Planets. Planets. Okay, so planets <laughs> and the solar system. We are in a solar system. Yep. With the sun in the center. Yep. We're in the fucking Goldilocks it, zone, it, baby. It took us a long time to get to that piece of knowledge, though, because it's only really from the 15 or yes. 1600s that, like, pretty much any scientist yes. would say that we were orbiting the sun. Right. Because we had Because an, of the uh, risk of death by zealots. <laughs> yes. Everyone going, yes. like, have you considered that maybe there's, like, other celestial bodies out there outside of our own planet? They went, shut the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> shut the fuck up! <laughs> 
Oh my god! So <laughs> heliocentrism is a is is sort of a very new in the grand scheme of the time of the universe, <laughs> instantaneous. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I'm here for like helio hedonism. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, it's like par- suns that party. Yeah. So um, that's my joke for the day. <laughs> that's a trinary star system. So basically, the the structure of the planets as we know them. We all know there's like the, the center is the sun and then you have all the planets orbiting in what seems kind of like a, a clock, concentric clock structure. Sick. This yeah, construction yeah. was laid out in 1543 by Copernicus. Oh, so the, the solar system's quite young then. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Copernicus, the creator. <laughs> yeah. But um, because prior to this, everyone, well, everyone, lots of people, who had time to think about this, um, thought that the Earth was the centre of the universe, which if you were a conscious being, you would think that. It does make a lot of sense. It makes because, a lot of sense. Again, so we, we look up at the sky and with the knowledge that space exists, so we have this idea that there's this vast cosmos of nothingness and there's other planets and stuff, but if you don't have that knowledge, you're just looking at this blanket of stars. Well, I mean, even today, people have a hard time acknowledging that they are not the centre of the universe. <laughs> you know, let alone the fucking planet. And the Earth. It takes a pretty, like, because, they, 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 I mean, we're going to get to this again in your fucking, like, chapter three. The yes. Existential three crisis seven. of this entire thing is that it's like, there is a certain point of, like, the size of things where you're just like, no, 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 yeah, like, I like, cannot be thinking about yeah. that, otherwise I'm going to fucking, I'm going to quit my job. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, like, <laughs> infinity is actually expanding. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop. Oh, we, yeah, we should have sent you some, some hilarious no, comedy thanks. based on it. But anyway, no, so... What I want to start talking about is basically why do our planetary systems develop like this? Because this is not the only planetary system. The one that we're in is one of billions and yeah. billions and billions of planetary systems with billions and billions of I knew we were going to get to billions and billions at some point. Billions and billions. Of, um, but like the, what always gets me is the, the concentric circles thing. So like this, the sun yeah. and then the planets in the cool looking discs. Yes. Yeah, so here's my thing though, right? Okay, that's depicted as flat, so it's easy to look at. Yeah. But it's not, right? I mean, it's they're, not all, perfectly they're all like, one of them's going no. sort of up. Okay, so this is good. We're getting into it now. Gravitational forces. We're, it's a physics lecture now. Oh, um, this God. is part one, physics. So <laughs> um, after the Big Bang, which did happen and is a real thing that occurred, okay. um, there was a kind of- Was anyone there? Did you fucking see it? <laughs> there was, it. We can see it. You can see it. You can see it? You well, can the thing see is, it. If okay, you look so far what do you mean? Distance, because if you look far enough in the distance, the amount of light years it is away from you is equivalent to the early beginnings of the universe. I have difficulty reading like a sign. <laughs> this is why we pay people to do it. Um, so the as soon as momentum starts, gr- the way that gravity works is essentially like centrifugal force. So everything gets pulled to kind of like a central. Yeah, yeah, but, but okay. So picture this: is like if, if it's asteroids, like in a big orb in the early part of the solar system, and it's all just a mess. And then slowly over time, it's going in a circle, going in a circle. It's actually spiraling in towards the center of the heaviest object, that being the sun. Yeah. So because it's spiraling, if it does it long enough, it will just be a flat It'll flatten out because everything is getting kind of pulled into the same plane because the way that that gravitational force works is the same way that like um, the spin works in our planet is like everything's being drawn to the center, but there's like this kind of like equatorial plane where everything can kind of rotate around us. Saturn's rings do the exact same thing around Saturn. It's flat because of the gravitational spin. I am repulsed. (laughs) That's a good place to start. So how does this start? How do we start getting a concentric spinning solar system? system? So what you have at the center of all of these is a sun, which is a massive 
in in physics terms, massive, in meaning it has a large mass and large. Those are two different concepts in space. Doesn't it make up like 99.7% of all of the mass in the solar system and it's the sun? It's the sun, yeah. Okay. So it's both <laughs> massive you can fit a billion and large. In it. <laughs> so the, when it comes to these kind of gravitational forces, the larger the body, the greater the gravitational force. So the sun being the largest body in our solar system has the greatest pull. So it means that that becomes the center of everything spinning because it's now drawing everything towards it. Jupiter early on, um, if it kept growing, could have become an, a, basically a, a rival yeah. to the mass of the sun. That's because, but it stopped growing, thank God. That's because a sun is basically... With a, with a God that <laughs> the way you think about a, a star... Um, like igniting? Is it's like a massive gas giant that gets so big that the pressure actually ignites the core of hydrogen and mm-hmm. stuff in the core, and that right. actually starts a huge nuclear reaction. So Jupiter is a, a star. Bomb. Yeah, yeah it's just waiting to explode. <laughs> so that's why Jupiter formed first. It's the el- oldest planet. It's in the oldest planet system. in our solar system because it was basically formed out of the same stuff as the sun. So same with Saturn. So <laughs> my so basically what happens is is when you're forming like a terrestrial planet or a gas giant or an ice giant, which is like the three classes of planets that we have in our solar system, you have these gravitational forces where rock or gas or ice are being kind of forced together into this sort of spherical shape. And then they're also being dragged towards bigger objects. Yeah, because, okay, this is a quick note about gravity because I don't think this is that commonly known. So we think of gravity as something as in like, the earth has gravity because we're all pulled towards it. That suck. It's that suck. Yes. <laughs> but that's not some, nothing special to like a planet. It's just because literally all matter in the universe attracts all other matter in the universe. That's what gravity is. But some things are bigger than others. Yes. So the earth is a real big rock. So as a result, it pulls us towards the center very strongly and it pulls the and moon the towards the center. And the center is well. spinning as a centrifugal force, which is creating that. That almost sucking, yeah, sucking motion, and then feeling. but the sun is much, 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 much bigger. Much bigger so, so we're being drawn towards it. The question that I then had in my research at this point was going like, okay, well then, if the sun is so big, why didn't we just fall into the sun? Um, you know, like, but, yeah, directly. Why don't <laughs> like, we fall into the so sun? So this is where this is where gra- gravity becomes fall a tricky little sun. bitch. Sorry. <clears throat> oh wait. Um. <laughs> so basically what happens is it's about velocity and it's also about uh, gravitational pull from other planets. Mm-hmm. So if you just had a sun and a planet, if it's moving at a big enough speed that it's able to essentially, and it's move, it's, it's, if it's moving fast enough that it's able to basically move faster than the gravitational pull of the sun, it'll just keep going round and round. What then happens if you add a third body things start happening to the gravitational force. Oh, because they're pulling on each other. Because they're pulling on each other because it's attracted to the sun, that's attracted to the... It all gets fucking messy. Three's a crowd. And and the three-body problem was actually a a mathematical problem that we still haven't solved. We still don't fully understand how multi-body systems and the way that gravity interacts because it's chaos. We haven't figured it out yet? No, no, because it's, it's... I mean, it's basically chaos theory. What do you mean? So chaos theory. <laughs> so basically, this derailing so, her further into physics. No, this is great. Like, no, you're not derailing me. This is exactly where I wanted to go. Uh, page one. <laughs> there is no chaos in this podcast. So the solar system is chaotic, and pa- planet positions have changed over the full four billion years that we've had a universe. So, and I'll get into like our solar system is unique in the way that our planetary systems are structured, and I'll get into that. But I just want to get on the chaos thing. 
The planets are moving and pulling away and coming closer. It's all shifting and changing. This is not how our universe looked at the beginning. And the this solar is, system, you mean? The solar system. This is not how our solar system looked the entire time. And it's not going to look like this forever. Everyone get comfortable with that. So chaos theory. <laughs> Basically, it's the theory that there are like underlying patterns and laws of systems that are highly sensitive to the initial conditions. So what this means is where <laughs> planets end up are really dependent on where they started. So if you change a starting position of a planet, even by a, a, even by like a centimeter, it changes the the way that it all gets laid out when eventually our solar system sh- is structured. So they kind do of settles. So it's kind of it like the, the probability of insane coincidence and yes. And so they develop this it's just chance that is so fucking small <laughs> of success. So they actually have a simulation called the Nice simulation. Nice. It's spelled nice, but fucking it's Nice because nice of France. Simulation. <laughs> nice um, simulation, which they man. use to basically demonstrate that like. It is really just happenstance that this is what our universe looks like. But as I said, our solar system is unique. Okay. Because it's it's lacking two features that other solar systems that we've been able to see um, have. One is super Earths. So super Earths are like (sighs) massive... Massive Earths. Earth-like planets are twice the size No, because this is the thing where, like, so our solar system, because it's ours and it's the first one we can see, we were like, oh, this makes perfect intuitive sense. There's gas, big gas giants and ice giants over there. Of and course. closer in, there's four terrestrial planets. Makes of course. Logic. No but apparently shit. all other solar systems are not like that. So our terrestrial planets, which are basically planets made from rocky material, are smaller than most. So Earth's... Earth, uh, super Earths are twice the size of Earth, and you would have typically one or two. We've got four smaller terrestrial planets close to the sun. Do you feel like we'd be better off with a bigger Earth? Well, the pressure would really kill us. Oh, oh. shame. <laughs> yes. Um, the Another common feature of galaxies is peop- like Jupiter-style planets, gas giants, but they're actually closer to the star than our, our gas giants So basically are. normal solar systems have the gas giants and closer to the sun and the terrestrial planets are bigger Slightly and out. out the back, which is the opposite. So. Why? <laughs> because of the, the forces of gravity pulling those two massive, massive units together. Yeah, because that what was unusual is we had the two gas giants form. Yes. Early form on. first. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So right. Jupiter and Saturn... Or Saturn, as Brian Cox says. Saturn. 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 Those two, like, they created, like, a weird loop thing. So, because the um, their orbits would line up every so often. Yeah. Like, it's called okay. resonance. It they, they goes into resonance, which does all sorts of weird gravitational stuff. in the middle stuff. of the night if you hear, like, a... Whoa, yeah, that's what it is. It's just two planets yeah. coming but from like, each other. It makes sense why the Jupiters would move in, right? Because the way that these planets grow and the fact that they're gas giants, so they're pulling dust and gas, we're, de- we're dealing with highly volatile and complicated... Gigantic and possibly large rumba. <laughs> but it, it'll, it'll get attracted to more of that. So it actually gets pulled in by the gas spiralling and the way that all of these in, these uh, micro-gravitational forces are interacting with it. But what ends up happening, and then as a result of that, Jupiter's mass is kicking smaller objects out into space because it has exerts right. a repulsive... Because it's an angry god. And, and so we have like two early adopters and it kind of shaped the entire so what happened system. is that 
uh, we think that Jupiter did do this in our in our system. So there's a the, the, the Nice simulation basically theorized that Jupiter was on its way in. It was coming in to fuck up Mars. It was going to start like it was going to cause some problems. Yeah. But what happened was is basically Saturn and Jupiter hit a resonance point, which ended up slowing its movement in and pulling them both back out past the snow Saturn line. Saturn was like, bro, no, just bro. But fucking <laughs> bro. Jupiter's like, hold me back, bro. Yeah. Saturn's like, yeah, just fucking just just cool it, yeah. man. It's not worth it. So not worth it. Whereas like Mars is still fucking chirping at him. Yeah, just fucking like, having to go like, come get me, bro. Yes. You know what Mars is That's like. exactly what the knee simulation said. Tiny planet syndrome. Yeah, because yeah, it's smaller than us. That's actually what I have my PhD in. Oh, wow. Um, talking shit. Talking shit. <laughs> um, and so we now then have this, what seems like a very logical structure of four terrestrial planets, two gas giants, two ice giants, and my favorite planet, um, which we will get into. Don't even fucking start me. Okay, it's going to be warfare tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and it forms that really like natural, What I mean, again, from our perception, a very obvious thing where it's small, gets larger, and then shrinks. Except... Except. 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 <laughs> There's always an except, isn't it? Except. Another unique feature of our solar system is that based on these on these kind of laws of physics and these kind of mass constraints, Uranus, yeah. Uranus, whatever we want to call it. It's Uranus. Uranus. That is how it is pronounced. Okay. That is the name of the planet. It has never been called Uranus. Okay. What about Uranus? I mean, it's Greek, right? Uranus. Yeah, yeah, but it's just and not Neptune. called that. <laughs> <laughs> should be in the me? opposite order. They should be. Because Neptune's bigger than... Uranus. Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uranus. Um, and what we think has happened is this shift that... So it, we think that this is all connected to Jupiter moving in and being pulled back, is what that ended up doing is also creating these weird um, gravitational kicks where it kicked Neptune out further, gave it a kick out, and that <laughs> pulled Uranus in. Right. Basically, stop calling it that. <laughs> okay, so I love that the two options though. If we don't go with Uranus, it's either like pee or poo poo. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Jupiter went on a rampage, rampage. at some point. Which makes sense. But this is what's really Canonically cool. Makes I sense. absolutely froth at the idea okay. of the mythological resonance of the names of the planets because it's so coincidental. Yeah. So but for it example, tracks. Yeah, but it tracks. So Jupiter is named, is the Roman name. The Romans named the planet Jupiter. Yeah. And that was the name of their version of the Greek god Zeus. Father of gods. Who was going around on rampages all the time. Yeah. Sexual rampages. And was rampages. also the father yeah. of the gods and the largest and oldest of the planets. Technically not the oldest of the gods, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's Helio-hedonism is what he was engaging in. Yeah, and then you had something like Mercury, which is the Roman name for Hermes, which was the yeah. messenger god. Oh, babe. And, thank you. Oh, um, and this... What he was named, the, the planet was named this because of how quickly it seemed to move across the sky. Yeah, because Mercury was so close to the sun that to look at it, you're basically watching it pop in and out of the sun. Yeah. And but the interesting thing about it is Mercury. <laughs> Mercury is the fastest planet. Yeah. It moves obviously because it's this. It's the. It's uh. They the, didn't fucking just like they didn't. They were not arbitrarily oh. naming yeah, shit. Day People like care about long. this. So it's it no. It's um. Wait, wasn't it that it's day is like twice? It's like we called Earth. Oh, Earth, you know, it's day is longer it's, than it's year. It's we day called Earth, no. Earth because it's where the ground is. They say they have they have names for this. Shit. Um. Terra. <laughs> sorry, I'm literally trying to look at my notes and I. Can't I remember see it's shit. day is longer than it's yeah, year because it's the counterintuitive one. Yeah. Yep. Hilarious. And it's also... And it's hot and it sucks there. So I think we've all had days like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've yeah, got- one side of you is getting scorched to death by the sun. 
The other side of you is literal ice. Yeah, mate. It's in a spin lock with the sun, which means only one side of it actually ever faces the sun. And um, that side firstly, is miserable. Spinlock sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. So it's like Mercury is essentially skateboarding as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, yes. Mercury is the closest planet to being consumed. Yeah, so yeah. one day it's just going to be yum, yum, yum. Sun claims it's... That's, so, horror. That's horror. That's pure existential horror. And the average... So the interesting thing about Mercury is the average surface temperature is about 167 degrees Celsius. <gasps> Are we going on but, a tour right now? Yeah, we're going to go yes. on a tour of the planets. Um, but it ranges from... Negative 183 degrees to 400 Celsius. Please. Celsius. That's what I said. It's all Celsius. <laughs> yeah, okay, sick. It's all Celsius, guys. Sick. We're I Australian. Should, I should listen. Guys, fuck you and Fahrenheit, honestly. Yeah, to 427 <laughs> degrees. So that's an average of 167, but the range is fucked. It's like frozen and then it's boiling. Yeah, 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 right. Um, but it is not the hottest planet. The hottest planet is? Venus. Because yes. she Aphrodite, she yes, hot. She's hot. She's hot. hot. He said. Because uh, doesn't it? It's because it's the. It has the um greenhouse effect. It has a runaway yeah runaway yeah. greenhouse effect. So the interesting thing about Venus, the reason why Venus was called was named after the goddess of love and beauty and fertility is because it is because like all our- these astro- astrologers were just like fucking thirsty as fuck. <laughs> because of the white top clouds, it is the one of the most reflective planets in our system, and it is um. It has this beauty to it when you look at it through a telescope, but when you see it in sheen. But the reason why it's covered in clouds is because um, it has a runaway greenhouse effect, which traps its heat into a very thick atmosphere, and it rains acid rain. Um, And yeah, atmosphere is like high pressure methane, isn't it? It's high pressure methane. I think that and it's got it's hugely like hugely high pressure. I'm pretty sure the Earth. pressure is like ninety. Yeah, atmosphere is ninety times of Earth, which means it's like being a kilometer under the ocean on the planet. Yeah. Nice. So I love the fact that like the first the story of the first. She's probe so hot. She's given me the bends. <laughs> was it a Soviet probe or was it? Or is it a Soviet probe? It doesn't. And Can it we lands, stop this? It's Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> um, landed and so like right up until like you know sci-fi writers of the early 20th century, they were writing about Venus as if it was like a paradise. Or okay. utopia. And so people yeah. actually generally thought there might be life on Venus because of the way it looked and because it had clouds. Yeah. People were really excited about the atmosphere. But then, so they landed this probe on there. It was the first one to actually successfully land, um, I think in the 70s or 80s. And it was like, it, was it lasted, really I think, hard. like two hours or something? Two hours, yeah. which is pretty remarkable before yeah, it just, yeah. <laughs> like, it just <laughs> was crushed and like stopped working. I and it recorded it, yeah. this <laughs> insane heat and pressure and it's just hellish and... Just truly horrific. We're not going there. No, oh, I just realised. I just realised. I should probably define what the fuck a planet is before we go any further. So, because a planet is distinct from a star. A star is a um, fixed point in the sky. Yep. It doesn't move. Well. Well, in relation to us, but it's fixed. Yeah, we haven't gone to that yet. Because <laughs> the solar system is, is, is going around something else. The yeah, star we, is orbiting in a galaxy. Yeah. Around and the, the supermassive black hole. You're absolutely right black hole. because we should never have done this. Yeah, the supermassive black hole. We should never have even touched at the this. Center top. of the galaxy. I hate that. <laughs> How many like just songs are you gonna do? For <laughs> okay, so George, George. What is a planet? There are three rules. And there I are have, only three. No, rules. there are three r- classification rules, and I have beef with one of them. Okay, um, here we go. <laughs> here we go. We're what right. happened to our tour? Okay. We're two planets in. Okay, fine. I'll finish the tour and then we'll get into <laughs> and the beef. Then we'll get the beef. And then yeah, we'll get right into the end of the okay. tour. <laughs> these these are the notes that I have for Earth. It's just our home and it's a vibe. 
It is a vibe. It's a vibe. There's dolphins here, The man. vibe is beginning to deteriorate. <laughs> yeah. It's tarnishing. Yeah. yeah there are whale not sharks, cute. though, um, for the time being. For That's the time good. being. So I didn't really feel like we needed to get more detail than that because we all know Earth. We live it. We're fine. Yeah. She's there. She's thriving. We're it's poisoning like, her with toxic fumes. Yeah, yeah. We will end up like Venus one day. Hell it's yeah, a vibe. Um, okay. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Mars. The one that I think a lot of people probably know a lot about is Mars because it's um, one of our closest planets, and it's so visible in the sky because it's red. And as a result, it's been written about a ton as well. Like early science fiction and stuff wrote a lot about Mars. Yes. And it was named because it was coloured red. It was named after Ares, the god of war, Mars in Roman terms. Yes. And so why is it red? Um, it's because the dust on the surface contains a whole bunch of like uh, iron minerals. Oh, it's just rust. It's rust. That's fucking sick. It's Pretty sick. It's just calling the planet Rust would be dope. Yeah. Let's call yeah, it Rust. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We should call it Rust. Re- renaming it. We're yeah, renaming yeah. it. I mean, especially because like the Romans just, have just been poaching shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do one original thing. <laughs> so <laughs> what's really interesting about Mars is because when they finally, when they kind of figured out that this was uh, ferric oxide minerals, what they realized was that this meant that Mars had to have had water at some point because this kind of mineral typically forms in water. And also if you look at the surface of Mars, it's got these beautiful, like what should be lakes and uh, rivers and streams. And there's actually the, one of the largest oh, yeah. waterfalls, I'm pretty sure in the universe existed on Mars. In the solar system. In the solar system. I keep saying universe because <laughs> it's Mars. Are, really are you just putting pressure on it unnecessarily? Like there should be lakes. Well, there be. would be if you were more like your brother. <laughs> <laughs> if you just had a slightly thicker atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. the poor bitch only has a Because oh, I feel like it's just a lack of commitment. Because Mars used to be a lot more like Earth and used to have water and the waterfall. Yeah. But the, the core slowed down because it wasn't big enough to sustain it's the core's so engine, the spinning molten metals. So it stopped, which meant its magnetosphere disappeared. And the magnetosphere is actually... It's what um, protects us from the Can you please tell me that that can't happen here? It can. Um, so, and then, it then, could. It, it absolutely could. can. I'm having such a hard time. I know. This is the. We're not even in the existential unknowable void yet. <laughs> Sorry, we'll take a break from okay, the void. Okay, so <laughs> then you hit what is known um, in astronomer terms, the snow line. This is the point in the in the solar system structures where as we get further out from the sun, um, where icy material is not melted. This is where I like water exists as ice and it only exists as ice. It's not going to melt. So like the snow line. The snow because line. Because that's where yeah. you like shred powder so and shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Based on, it's like the same theory on a mountain. So this is the point where ice is no longer acting like ice as we know it. It's kind of just basically a rock made of water. And this is where we no, get- No, ice is. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> like a rock. <laughs> like oh, this is where we get the big boys, the duo of kings. The lads. Jupiter. Yeah. Zeus. Legend, most massive, second brightest, and super important planet for the construction of our solar system. Got a system. big angry eye. Can I just get big shout out to Jupiter? Just big shout big out shout to out. Jupiter. Like, we love yeah, man. king shit. If also you- hosts the largest moon in the solar system, which I think is Europa. Doesn't doesn't I'm going Jupiter off have my like dome here? This is this is me like grade three <laughs> space knowledge, but like what? what uh, no, you're wrong. Which what? one is it? Doesn't it have like a fucking stack of moons? No. It has a, like more than 60 moons. Um, Titan is the largest moon in the solar system and that's Saturn. Oh, cool. I mean, like it's so. named Titan. You could probably get away with that. Um, okay. <laughs> Wasn't so, Saturn a Titan? 
Oh, uh, yeah, Saturn was a Titan because Saturn is named after Kronos. Kronos. The Titan Zeus's god of time. Yeah. yeah. Hold me back, Dan. <laughs> so what's really fascinating about Jupiter is it continues to have an impact on our solar system because its gravitational force is such that it pulls the sun it along. It pulls the sun. Which means that, so when you think about it. So wait, sun, it's battling the sun? Yes. Zeus has just got an arrogant personality. Yeah. So because, like, <laughs> the thing you need to know about our solar system, right, is, like, we're all spinning around the sun. Seems the like sun, there's a lot of things I need to yeah, know Yeah, you about. need to know. And the sun is spinning around a galaxy. Yeah. And the galaxy is moving in space. Okay. Um, the galaxy where is are we moving going? in space. Where are we going? To the end. To the end. <laughs> to the end. Wait, so we're up to Saturn, aren't we? Saturn. So Saturn's probably the oh, one that on. most people know. That's because it's what? sick. It's iconic. Because it's pretty. It's iconic. It's, pretty. it's got a frisbee. <laughs> so the rings. It's got a hula hoop. Galileo Galilei, a real man's name, yes. <laughs> saw them in 1610. It's his stage name. <laughs> it was his drag name. <laughs> I love that, yes. <laughs> Holy um, shit. And that is canon to me now. <laughs> the so the thing about Saturn is because of um, because of its tilt, because all the planets have tilts, they're not like directly yeah. sit, like some of them, some of them tilt in all different directions. They have a rakish tilt. Yeah, yeah. that's like, hence why Earth has the seasons because one part is being tilted yeah. towards the that's sun like at 21 It's like a 22.7% tilt. Oh God, anyway, so because of that, depending on when uh, our, um, our orientation with it and then its own spin the rings of the planet appear and disappear. So when mm. Galileo saw it, it looked like the planet had like two handles. Like it was like this. Yeah, so like picture, <laughs> like, picture you've got like a, a paper circle in front of you and yeah. you just turn it with your hands so that you're looking only at the edges. Yeah. And you okay. don't really see it. That's, that, what, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, and that's why he called it a little teapot. That was the yeah. first like. Yeah. And yeah. then like the next time he looked at it, it disappeared because the interesting thing, well, interesting. The most remarkable thing about the ring structure is it is at most 10 meters thick. Really? It's thin as shit. And how the frick am I looking at it? Because ice. it's highly reflective ice. Oh. So then you get uh, in 1656, <laughs> Dutch hey. astronomer Christian Huygens. 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 Solved the mystery. Huygens. You looked at me and said, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> H-U-Y-G-E-N-S. I refuse to participate in this episode. So, he basically was like, I figured out why it looks like it has two handles and then it looks like it has like a weird like hat and then it looks like it has like, it's nothing. It's just playing charades. <laughs> so he said- Hello, my baby. Hello, my, Hello, my ragtime guy. So, in an anagram, because this is how they always did scientific announcements, is they would always put it in an anagram to- to demonstrate that they had uh, principal discovery. He did an anagram. Wait, why? Because um, you have, because you're the only one who knows the solution to it. It's like IP? Yeah, it's IP. It's to demonstrate that you knew it first. So the, I don't have, I didn't bother to write it down because he just put all of the like A's, B's, C's and D's together in however many there were in each word. Anyway, so it translates to. What? Saturn is surrounded by a thin flat ring, nowhere touching and inclined to the elliptic. Which basically means that based based on our relationship to it, it can look edge on and basically disappear. But also at its greatest angle, it can look, we can actually see like the, the, the almost full, full, full ring. ring. I yeah. want to pause on this for a second because just to get in the head of this guy. <laughs> yes. Because all they have is these shapes at strange angles and he has basically hypothesized. Yes. That there is a ring around the planet, which doesn't have any precedence. No. He's just imagined this He's going, that probably fits the facts. Yeah. But only if we establish this new theory 
that's to do with planetary motion and the way planets tilt and spin throughout yes. the cosmos. This it's is ludicrous. Very obvious. He is not doing this with a computer programming <laughs> no, system. He's like got a quill at best. He's just got a quill and some like I don't know. He's doing this against the will <laughs> of the current fucking thinking. Of it. <laughs> it's like, yes. This is just an insanely creative thinking, and it just excites me thinking about it. And so, Looney. and then, the fact that he's also right is uh, the the best part. And then you get like Kepler. He develops the telescope, whatever. Who cares? Um, <laughs> he just, he, he made just, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he made like, the it's lens. irrelevant to Saturn. I can't see without that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are both wearing lenses. <laughs> and then what we have is basically telescoping technology improves, and this allows for us to actually through a telescope be able to glimpse the details of the rings. And this was first discovered by Giovanni Domenico Cassini. And Cassini will come back to because the Cassini he, probe. But what's, isn't it the Huygens Cassini probe though? I think it is actually. Yeah, yeah fucking, that's what I fucking think. Respect on the man's name. <laughs> and this is where we first find the details of the rings being that there are gaps in the rings. And I, I think, I mean, have you, you've seen images of the rings with like, it's got like blank spots between. It looks like a record. I've seen drawings of them. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Mm. Very good. Um, can I have a question? Can yes. I have a question? Can I ask you? Ask me a question. <laughs> can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, uh, anything unrelated to space. <laughs> I, is Okay, so the reason we can see the rings around Saturn is because they're made of reflective ice, right? Yes. Does that the imply that like there are ring, there's possibly rings around other planets that are made of shit we just can't see from a distance? Well, there are rings Indeed. around other planets. Indeed. There are rings Shall around we other continue planets. our tour, Samantha? Yeah. Well, leave. also, the other thing that's really important about the rings is the reason why they're so reflective because obviously the space is full of dust. It's a dirty, dirty place. So the ice should eventually like we we were like why is it so reflective these ice crystals should be covered in dust it's because the ring structure is quite new okay you know and in the span of the universe new not right. in terms of our existence new uh-huh. um how old are they then we don't know how old they are because but like ballpark i think that brian cox theorizes that they appear oh, you know in the documentary billion years after the formation of Saturn? No, oh. so, okay, so the dinosaurs, if they if the dinosaurs had a telescope, let me tell they you what, wouldn't they rings. wouldn't have seen the rings because so, the rings weren't there. What the fuck? Because the, the, the rings were formed by a moon. By a, well, the theory is that a moon, a massive moon that used to orbit Saturn got too close to Saturn, crossed the Roche line, which is the point where tidal forces exerting on the planet ripped apart, and then so that literally. spread into the ring structures, and then we have all of these other moons which sculpted it into the rings and the gaps and everything. I like Gravity did the rest. Best part of this is that Kronos did, in fact, eat his children in yeah, mythology. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So there you oh, go. So, so, oh, that's another And really- that's where I get to the idea that because of the orbit, everything is, all the moons, it has like 60 to 100 moons. Yeah, it has the most like, moons. So the moons are orbiting into Saturn, ultimately. So it's slowly eating them. Yeah. It's also eating the rings because the watching, rings are falling into this planet. We're watching um, Brian Cox's excellent documentary, The Planets, oh, and it showed it. the Cassini probe is all done and they, you know, bittersweet, they sent it into Saturn. Because, you know, just chuck it Pew in the moon. Fuck it. Sorry, into the garbage. gas giant. <laughs> and then point, so it, it gets, like, us. crushed and eaten. And I just imagine that it's so frightening thinking about Saturn doing this because it's just like, ah, at last, I shall take my prize. Seed. I have, ta- I have been patient. I love that Saturn has that voice. The other thing is... <laughs> They're like, at some point, Titan's that means that like, will come. Jupiter's like going to cut Saturn open and we're going to get it all back. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Canonically. Yeah, like the, the planets are just still inside. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no. They're crushed into like pure helium. I just helium love that like, the, the, the helium, so yeah. Saturn is just like fancy as fuck. You know what I mean? Just like accessorizes. I quite like that. Yeah. It's, I, uh, 
I love Saturn. One does want a little bit of sparkle now. Yes. Don't fall into so, Saturn. You will become a oh, rain of diamonds. One of the interesting things from recent probe... That's an, that's an original. ...discovery <laughs> is that also there the polar regions of Saturn is a giant hexagonal storm. A hexagonal the bees. storm. The bees. That's because there's the bees. bees. <laughs> Do not go to Saturn. It is full of bees. It's full it's of a bees. Dodecahedron okay. or whatever. So you Who were- wrote like an acronym about bees? <laughs> so- it's not bees. The next planet. <laughs> Let me clarify that it's not bees. <laughs> you really think they're going to take our word on that? They're just like, Saturn is big. Really big. Oh, wait, no. That's the universe. Continue. Anyway, okay, so now we have the second planet in the system that has rings. Yeah, okay. It's Uranus. It's, it's Uranus. Uranus. <laughs> it's Uranus. About halfway through recording this episode, I'm going to be Uranus. Uh, so, I'm just going to have to take a little break for that. There's several unique features about Uranus. Thank God. <laughs> Thank the Lord. One. Mm-hmm. It has very, very thin, delicate rings that we can't see because it's made from, like, we can't see in a telescope very well. Yeah. Because it's made of material that isn't as reflective as you said. Okay. Very, very good uh, thing to note. The Thank other you. thing is um, it's upside down. How can a <laughs> how can a ball well, how can a ball <laughs> be upside down? I guess a picture of the rings, right? So, so here's Saturn and here's its rings. It's okay. flat. You're seeing and it. it's going yep. like this. Yep. And it's going around the sun. So the rings are, are like, like parallel. Kind of, yeah. Or maybe slightly, slightly at a rakish, rakish tilt. tilt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The handles. Uranus. Hello, my baby. Hello, my the rings go like this. They're like they're a vertical. like a bicycle wheel <laughs> in which the orbit is passing through the the spokes. Yeah. Okay, so it's tripping itself up on the way through. <laughs> so the theory is that it got knocked over. All right. Can I think I, it just tripped. I think I'm it was still, like, I'm still stuck on an upside down ball. There is so no because, dimension to Okay, this. so basically the, the way that they call it upside down is because they're talking about the orbital path that it's taking yeah. is in one direction. So it's spinning like this. Yeah. But the actual spin of the planet is actually tilting downwards. This oh, way. okay, all right. So it's yeah, it's perpendicular to it's the a, it's orbit. It's a four seam fastball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is so, weird. And the other thing about Uranus is that it has a retrograde you have to spin. So, much. <laughs> so hard about it. Um, it has a retrograde spin. So all the planets in the in the solar system, apart from two planets, are spinning in the same direction that it's going around. Yeah, any clockwise. Yeah, that's intuitive. Like Venus, like a fastball would. And Uranus. I really have to think about it. Yeah. Uranus. You are breathing manually now. <laughs> <laughs> um, both spin clockwise. Fuck. For no reason. For no reason. Um, it's well, I'm sure for a reason. Yeah, we <laughs> just don't know. <laughs> no, it's for no Okay, so it's reasons. not helped by the fact that the ice giants of Neptune and Uranus have only been visited by us by a probe. Once. Once. And it was only for a couple of hours. And it was Voyager in the Voyager 70s. Two. In the 90s. Yeah, well, it in was the, launched in the 70s. It took quite a while it, to it get It was there. the 90s when they saw it. <laughs> so, like, um, huh? The other thing is that uh, on a more sort of mythological note is that Uranus is not a Roman name for a planet. It is the exception to the rule. Yeah, it's a Greek name. And yeah. that's because the Romans didn't know about it. The Romans actually named the planets up until Saturn because they were visible. Yes. But the of Uranus, Neptune, and like all the other objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such you want to start this now? You want to not start this now? <laughs> we're, not, we're nearly there. We're not <laughs> visible. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to them. So this was named by an astronomer in like, I think the 19th century. So, but they, they could have named it the Roman name. Which is Calus. Titan Uranus, which is Calus. 
Not as that in, it confused as in with like the the Klingon. Yeah, like the, the Klingon, Klingon god. Essentially, it's yeah. spelled C A E L U S. Kalis. Um, it's just it's a way better name and avoids all of the these fucking problems that we've had with this. Aranos another Titan as well. It was. A titan. It was yeah. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. It was the f- um, father of Kronos. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually oh, and married to to Gay Gaia. Yes. Yeah. Kind of. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Which yeah, is yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So now Which we have um. Neptune, Poseidon. And again, this is another one of those moments where it's so it's a it's a weird coincidence that the name of the planet almost seemingly correlates to the kind of characteristics of the planet. So Yeah, because I, I presume that Neptune was named in what like I think this was almost the nineteenth century, twentieth century. It was like. discovered by a mathematical calculation. What do you mean? What do you mean? So they, just some dude with chalk on a chalkboard. So he computed Neptune. Huh. No, no, no. He was like, he was Planet. like, okay, I'm looking at the solar system. This guy named Urbain Le Verrier, French guy, fantastic, um, really? was like, um, because okay, so what they were trying to do is they were trying to explain why um, Uranus has a slightly elliptical orbit, and they're trying to figure out what is causing that, and. This guy was like, it has to Shitty be that there's a, there's a planet <laughs> pulling it off track. There has right. to be another planet exerting a force. A bad influence. So he did the math and he sent it to the Berlin Observatory and was basically like, look in this region of space. I think you're going to find a planet. And then they did find a planet. I just don't understand. Yeah. Smart, that is smart people. ludicrous. <laughs> what you just told me. I did not know that. Yes. So that is, and the other thing about Neptune is that it exists in a region of space where things move so slowly that it couldn't have possibly been formed there. It was formed closer to the sun and then it was kicked out into space. Fuck out of here. By Zeus. Yes. Presumably. So I, they think that essentially the Jupiter-Saturn effect yep. kicked it out and then that's the thing that fucked up the progression and this is why Neptune's further out. Because like just, Jupiter yeah. and Saturn are essentially like a power couple at this point. It's yeah, like they're, like they're fucking, bae. Yeah. Um, father and son. Because <laughs> I also think rule that... Rule the galaxy as father, father and son. son. We'll rule the solar system, at least. Um, so the other thing... So w- the reason I'm talking about the name is that Neptune has the most extreme weather out of all of the planets. It has wind speeds up to 2,000 kilometers a second or something. Like, it's insane. Oh, holy fuck. It's whipping around the uh, the, the planet in a way that it's is a stormy violent sea. and stormy. And It's still upset about being kicked out. Yeah, it's, it's mad. It's just like storming. It's, it's Poseidon. But this is so cool because they would have named it Neptune, presumably, I think, because they, just they looked at when they did find it, it was like, and they got a good telly on it. It was like blue. It's blue. And they're like, oh, it's cool. Let's call it Neptune. That keeps yeah, to the theme of yeah, one of the names of it because Greek we're gods. so awesome. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Except awesome. then, they, then the Voyager 2 got there and it was like a fucking shit storm. <laughs> like, they're like, hell the yeah. Thing, sorry, and the thing about it's that angry. is the thing that is the most fascinating is it's in a region of space in which the amount of light that the sun is giving it should not producing heat on the planet's surface to to run the wind the the storms because yeah. storms need a heat source because it's about that yeah. differential in atmosphere and heat exactly. that cycles winds around but it's actually warmer than uranus it's warmer than uranus why is this because there's something we don't know the surface of neptune we never went in there because it's there is yeah there's no it's way. A surface <laughs> is an it's interesting a thing. surface doesn't exist when we're it's at this a cloud <laughs> that's angry so, <laughs> okay they think that there is Something about either within the clouds or slightly lower down that is absorbing. It's emitting twice the amount of heat it's absorbing. 
Right, okay, so it's a generous angry cloud. Yeah. <laughs> there is, in fact, a sea god in there. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, we've come to the bit we've all been waiting for. So, <sighs> now we talk about Pluto, which the is the body best. Pluto. Okay. Pluto. Can I talk about it world before? Body. Okay. Can we just, can I, can, I, can I do my thing? Just for a hot second. Pluto's Hades, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So, and again, fitting. Great and I'll get name. to it. This Fucking planet sick. was discovered by Clyde W. Tombow, who was a- Is he the voice of Mickey Mouse? No. Oh. That's Jim. No. No. Oh, no, no. It's that guy from, uh, it's like, yeah, he was in, yeah, it's fine. So he was, he was, he was a, a farmer, a farm boy who would occasionally go and like use the observatory on clear nights because he was fascinated and had a curious mind. He was not a scientist. He would compare plates and he discovered. He's wicked smart. Pluto. We're just doing goodwill hunting now. So he. Oh, it's yeah, because you compare the plates and you could see. So the thing is, is the planets in the night sky, you can tell them because they don't move with the stars. They can either move in a uniform direction or depending on the position with Earth and complex things they like that, they can move like backwards this. and zigzag. Okay. The, this is why the, the stars Greeks, move in a very fixed structure. Greek astronomers yeah. called them planets for this very reason because it's a word that meant like wanderer. Wandering star. And the wandering gods. So because they, they, they just know how to make shit awesome. Yeah, yeah so they, they named it. So they must have thought in the heavens there's these fixed points, these stars, and then the gods moved amongst them God. freely. Fuck yeah, so, he, so anyway, but less mythologically, more scientifically, he was looking at the two plates and he saw that one of the dots was moving in a very different direction, a tiny, tiny little speck. Speck. Yeah. So we don't know much about this planet. We can't really see it. Voyager 1, Voyager 2, neither of those probes go because it's too fucking far away. Yeah. And like Voyager 1 is going out into fucking deep space after visiting Saturn. Voyager 2 is going to see um, Uranus and Neptune and then fucking off into deep space. So Bye. January 19. 2006, the New Horizons probe was launched. And that's the, that was the one that's being sent to Pluto. Um, at this point, Pluto was still a fucking planet. Yep. So <laughs> I'm about to get on my soapbox because I have feelings about this. Um, in August, How much soap do you need? A lot. If you got like a whole fucking a box. A box of it. So in August. We buy in bulk around here. <laughs> in August 2006, less than nine months later, the International Astronomers Union... Is it bars of soap or is it like, do you I'm think, is it like, <laughs> will you cease? I'm about to get on my body wash box. <laughs> Pluto was ousted from the planetary category because it didn't meet one of the three requirements of being a planet. Now I can describe what the fuck a planet is. Hey. And then Step can- number one, be round. Step number one is be round. Yes. Balls. Be a ball. <laughs> Where is it? Oh my God. <gasps> okay. So step number one is a ball. Shh. And step number two is it has to be orbiting a star. No, no, you're wrong. Okay, nope. I'm just, I'm just winging right, it. Step here. number two is that it has to be named after. <laughs> ah, I found it. Either found a, a hellish Disney character. This is character. why. <laughs> this is why twelve pages of notes is unruly. Okay, idea. so number one is that planets have to change their position relative to fixed stars. Yep. Right. So this rules out the sun and the moon. The wanderer. Number two. They have to have an almost spherical shape that is typically layered, meaning that there's a solid kind of core and then a kind of gaseous atmosphere. This rules out comets, asteroids. These are not planets because they aren't spherical. Yeah. And then the final one that they introduced in 2006 was had to be large enough to clear its orbit of other bodies, either gathering them up into themselves or throwing them, them elsewhere. So basically it has to clean, be in charge of its own orbital path. They just created the no Pluto's club. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, because, okay, so the, the how it goes is that if 
without those rules, the planetary definition was becoming very, very bad because the further they discovered things in the Kuiper belt around Pluto and beyond, yeah. there were lots and lots of absolutely tiny, like 10 kilometer across rectangular objects and stuff, which would be close to defined as a planet. They wouldn't be defined. If they were rectangular, they wouldn't be defined as a planet. Okay, orbital, orby ones that would be. So They found Eris, they found Maki Maki, and they found another body that was about the same size as Pluto, that was almost spherical, but because it existed in Pluto's area, Pluto no longer cleared no longer cleared its neighbourhood. And also for those who want to bring up the whole crossing over Neptune's fucking orbital boundary, that's not true. <laughs> it's, not e- it's not even fair. I You're have... wading into this astronomical debate like well, it's no, okay, so Instagram. I did some one. more fucking research into this. Okay, I have strong feelings about this because... Do you? I, yes. And a whole bunch of soap. A whole bunch of soap. So it was ejected from the planetary... Uh, category and alan stern who was the principal investigator of nasa's new horizon mission absolutely hated this resolution he was against this resolution for a variety of reasons so much cost into that well, no, I mean, because well, thankfully like, it was already on it was already on its way yeah but and also like as, turn around <laughs> as brian cox does say it really doesn't matter whether or not it's a planet it's a world and it's worth exploring which is beautiful a very diplomatic response did it in a very cool accent yes i love his accent um the point that he made was that Wonder. the decision was not representative of the entire astronomical community because less than 5% of Ugh. all astrom- astronomers voted on it. That's a semantic thing. My yes. feeling is sentimental and it's personal. <laughs> I, I respect that. However, it's in a two- because I fucking said so. Because it completely uprooted my entire conceptualization of the universe, okay? All right. Um, in August 2008, <laughs> there was a conference being held to debate this definition of a planet because there was a lot of backlash to it. There was a lot of people who had a lot of feelings about and it. it just ended in a fist fight. It well, what it ended up being was that they essentially released a press, le- a press release afterwards saying that scientists could not come to a consensus. They couldn't agree. So See, this is where I, I'm going to come in here and say that like, my thing is, is that categories like scientific names and categories exist to make sense. They don't exist to like make m- less simplicity they exist to create more simplicity so if you have a category that's kind of like a weak planetary definition that creates more confusion it's better to have a category that actually makes sense so that you can go okay no this is this is intuitive because of these very clear rules these things which i feel like planets are and these things are not it's a fucking slippery slope so like (laughs) who's the next to go my problem is like (laughs) okay so here's my thing the evil pluto it's a planet I'm willing to die on that hill. It's However, smaller than the moon. If, I'm, willing to, die on I'm willing to die on that hill because Pluto is beautiful. Pluto is beautiful. Pl- is Pluto is yes. a beautiful planet. We visited it. New Horizons got a little picky pick of it. Pluto's heart. It's got a warm center. It has a love it heart. Has, it has a what? It has a love heart on its surface. Have you not seen Pluto's heart? No, I haven't. Can you Google I've it? Seen like, any, describe? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so. I've been like playing video games for comfort for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So. <laughs> There's this region of Pluto, Pluto's heart, it's the left lobe of the heart, called Sputnik Planitia, great name. Um, Again, the naming, NASA nailed it. Yeah. Um, It it is flat. It's cute. That whole body is covered in impact craters, but that region is completely flat. They think that, and they they did a close-up, and it has the hallmarks of convection currents, which means that there's a warm, watery, nitrogen water situation happening. A soft, chewy nougat. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. 
that's completely refreshing that particular region, which means that it's it's got an, it's got an atmosphere, it's got all of these like elements that makes it a planet. If we visit Eris, and she also has a atmosphere and all of these things, then fine, I'm willing to accept a planetary distinction. Right? I'm willing to accept what it. What is it exactly that you have against Eris? Uh, <laughs> Nothing. The- I love Eris. <laughs> We've all seen Sinbad. Look, we all love Eris, but we have to be honest here. Okay. But the reason why I think that uh, Pluto's name is so fitting, right, is that, like, when they named it, did they know that he was going to be cast out from the heavens of the gods and sent to watch over the yeah, bodies so at the edge of the universe? Uh, this is my favourite reason why say, I'm happy about the, the classification I'm say change. Yes, they did I don't think that. they did. <laughs> this is why it's awesome. Him being not a planet, it's just like it fits with the mythology. It fits with why the mythology. Why does this keep happening? Do you guys, do you, want, do you want to hear my conclusion, my, my scientific conclusion, conclusion about all of this? Conclusion. Okay, so my takeaway from all of that is because it's easier than reality. That gods are real. <laughs> That's my takeaway. And I the first god is Zeus. <laughs> because if I think about it more than that level, it upsets me. See, but that's when you zoom out. Because, okay, here's the Why thing. Why would I zoom if out? You, if you're thinking about the creator as like, oh, created the solar system, that kind of makes sense. But like, if you think about it, it's like, but then they were also bored for like trillions of years <laughs> because there are like a billion suns or more. How many, like a billion suns in the galaxy, something like that? There's a billion, billion stars with a billion, billion, billion planets in a billion galaxies. And the center of our galaxy is a supermassive black hole. Okay, why do we have that? Uh, just for why do, why do we even have that? <laughs> that's yeah. why we're all being pulled towards that's it. Called, that's that's red. Just stop. stop <laughs> we're not, are we, I, I, shall we take a break? <laughs> I'm not okay. Yeah, okay. So, I th- yeah. I, <laughs> I think the issue that I'm having is uh, my ego uh, <laughs> and how fragile it is when exposed to um, existential... The existential enormity of espace. Espace. Anyway, uh, let's go deeper into space. The size <laughs> is all around us. Let's talk about the etymology. Let's take a break, a genuine etymology a break. Ge- an actual soothing etymology break. Will it be spoo- soothing? You know how cool and nice words are. Let's go into that. It's <laughs> not a long conversation, but it is kind of interesting because I expected the word space to be a bit older than it is, but kind of makes sense that it's only the past few hundred years because why well because we didn't conceive of space in that way which i'm going to get to in a second anyway <laughs> but so space has a surprising origin as a word it was first used to describe what we call technically outer space in john milton's paradise lost which is from when? A, a 1667 so a that's work the first of fiction. So when you say yes. outer space, what do you mean? So yeah, outer space. Yeah, this is confusing for me too. But apparently, outer space basically means what we would call space—just like not out of our atmosphere. We're in gravityless land. Outer space. That in space. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's because if you're getting really semantic about it, the scientific. If you if you'd like look up scientific definition of space, it's not going to be about the vacuum of infinity. It's yeah. going to be about um, the planets, like uh, Cartesian planes. Space itself, okay, space right. time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah okay, right. Okay. So anyway, the, the first to use as in Things the in heavens. Things in a place, yeah, yeah. And so here's the question. I love like it. outer space just basically going like outside. It's over there. Space <laughs> may produce new worlds, whereof so rife there went a fame in heaven that he long intended to create and therein plant a generation whom his choice regard should favor equal to the sons of heaven. 
I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> sounds fucking sick. It sounds good, and he is talking about space in the way that we understand it now. So, that's 1667. But the term outer space itself yeah. um, is actually from H.G. Wells. So, it comes from science fiction, which, again, makes a great deal of sense um, because science at that point is only just catching up with the idea of the vacuum of space. I don't... I'm going to come back to this, I think, a lot through this episode, that I don't understand smart people. <laughs> like, yeah. people that are just, like, wicked smart. Like, I mean, like, we're, we're not... Like, we're all pretty smart people at this table. I mean, we're fairly well studied and, you know, we've... Two of us are. And, like, <laughs> but, like, the, the idea of... the, the I'm, I'm including myself in us, which is really fun. Uh, but, like, the idea of these guys... Like, I mean, like, Galileo Galilei on a Friday night, full drag outfit and yep. just, like, having... <laughs> In making insane assumptions that are then right. And H.G. Wells just basically inventing the universe. It's just like, I don't understand. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I talk about like why space is such a new word. And that's because when you think about it, like a lot of religions, a lot of mythology and a lot of the early sort of alchemy-esque sort of thinking about space was like the heavens, the cosmos, the the celestial worlds. It's not the same. They don't know about it yet. So, a good example of this is if you think about like the earliest view of space from humans is like the cave paintings. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, and also the shamanistic religions. I think we talked about this at some point. I don't remember when. The shamanistic religions, they were very ancient and some are still around, of course, but they're very ancient. Uh-huh. And there's things that are common to them when hallucinations of the of those dream journeys happen. And, right. Um, one of them is that you go into a lower level and then the meso, like middle level where we are, and then the upper level. The heavens. And they have lifts. Or we have like a, a like situation. a, <laughs> <laughs> no, a, a hallucinogenic crisis of uh, No, often apparently really common hallucination is like is um rising with a huge erection into the sky. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We've all Fuck done that. Space. <laughs> um, really weird. Anyway, it's very interesting. Um, so, yeah, like this idea of the heavens is very interesting. But I love the idea. It's just like, yeah, I've, I felt myself floating. And like just rising into the void up there, and it was it was fascinating. His friends like, yeah, 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 yeah. What if you had like a real big dick? Like what? what like, <laughs> like a big dick. And I felt good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, so ancient scientists, you know, of like yeah, ancient Greek Aristotle sort of era, they didn't believe that space as we know it could be possible. There's the there's the quote from Aristotle, which I never really understood until now, which is nature abhors a vacuum. Because it's always used now metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you should take that job because nature no abhors a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what I it actually means to the devil's playground. Please stop jerking off so much as you rise into space. <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically saying like uh, a void cannot exist. It will always be filled with that's, matter. That's like, that's like it, that is exactly the tone of my response to everything Samantha was just saying. <laughs> where it's just like it's essentially Arist- stop talking. It's Aristotle's way of saying no, thank you. Um, no thanks. But not all ancient scientists. So there's an ancient Chinese scientist in the second century, so that's CE, okay. so the 200s, um, Zhang Heng, who I think we've brought up in the uh, in the clocks discussion in the numbers episode. Wouldn't that be anyway. the 100s? Anyway, go on. You're right. The 100s. I'm so right. Hell yeah. Nice one. Um, I know everything. So he was the first that we know of to argue that space was a boundless infinity, empty and void of substance. Uh, He was just saying it's not very nice. (laughs) The void. And so he said the heavenly bodies are in fact... He was describing... No, that was just like he was marking one of his students' essays. It was just (laughs) empty and void of of substance. (gasps) Back to the drawing board, please. So And then he also thought that the heavenly bodies 
were moving, floating in this void. Oh. Which is true, although he also believed that the, sometimes they were still. Aristotle also believed that too. A lot of the ancient scientists, because of their movement yeah. being sometimes zigzaggy, they assumed that they would wander around. They, they could just, they would voluntarily like, you, move. Just like, I'm just going to go over there for a second. I'm just going to chill here for a bit. What about his dick? Like, what about... <laughs> <laughs> would you stop it? Um, and so, like, that infinity theory would only happen in Western science in 1576. Wow. That's what, how many centuries later? A lot. A lot. Um by the way, Shang Heng. Like, okay, I want to I want to bring up Shang Heng because this is one of those polymath dudes, which is just like actually ludicrous. Wicked this is Wikipedia's smack. Wikipedia's full list of Zhang Heng's occupations: astronomer, mathematician, seismologist, because he invented the seismoscope, hydraulic <laughs> engineer, inventor, geographer, cartographer, ethnographer, artist, poet, philosopher, politician, Holy. and literary scholar. Can I just say, like, Renaissance man? He, he was like the 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 very definition of oh, fucking do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fuck it. If, I'll fucking do it myself. Yeah. So he actually refined pi computation as well. He, he's act, in, I think in the Chinese like ancient literature tradition, he is actually quite a well-known this poet as well. He, like he's good. Like it's not just that he. This is how poems. much you could get do you could get done if you just weren't out chasing pussy all the time. Like this, this is how much <laughs> you, you guys could just get focused done. up. <laughs> My day is twenty hours long. I wake up. I hustle. I grind. <laughs> three in the morning. <laughs> I designed the first water-powered astrolabe in the world. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, so sick. I love those things. They're, they're like amelioary spheres that are like a little globe with the heavenly bodies moving around it in yeah, clockwork. Yeah. So it's oh. like a water clock. What a fucking legend. That's yeah, it's so absolutely cool. Legend. Can I just have a quick uh, etymology aside? Yes. Just, just for me. Uh, cosmos. Mm. It's a Greek word. Mm. It's the opposite of chaos. Cosmos <sighs> fuck is... Order. order. Yes. Order up. Noodles cool. Okay. With, uh, um, yeah. Fuck. I quit. So, <laughs> up until the 1600s, Western science had an Aristotelian belief that vacuum was impossible. Yeah. And so the space had to be filled, what we call space, the cosmos had to be filled with a thin ether-like substance, which is a similar sort of alchemical knowledge coming from, remember when we were talking about it in the whiskey episode, how the Aquavitae is like yeah, the spirit yeah. of life. So they think it's it's watery up there. Yeah, basically. It must be this goop. sort of fluid, gooey fluid The stuff. ocean of espace. But it was in 1650, a German scientist completely destroyed this idea, which must have been a pretty nice feeling for him. Otto von Gurich, he created the vacuum pump. So he created a box that basically sucked air out of the thing. Yeah. And then it's like created a vacuum and go like... There you go. Fuck you, Aristotle. You can have a vacuum. Yeah. It basically is, it is an order. It will be, if you allow it to be, it will be filled with stuffing. Yeah. So this sort of like, it, like half right. You expose it to nature. Yeah. And nature will say, I abhor that. <laughs> I don't like that much. I dislike that intensely. Bit. But at this point, um, scientists through ballooning had figured out that the air pressure was variable through the sky. So it got lower as you got higher, which meant that... <laughs> Like it would eventually stop. Doing the balloon with a massive erection. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still still on the fucking roll. You should never have brought it up. (laughs) You should never have brought it up. So Otto's now like, well, okay, if that's true, then it must stop at some point. So the space must then be a vacuum. Not he wouldn't have called it space though, but the space outside Earth must be a vacuum. And um, like, so we're covered by this shell of air. 
So it's the first time that anybody's said we're covered in a shell of air and outside is the nothingness. Because because, <laughs> because it's an insane thing to say. Because it's amen. What if? I just have this really, really fucking sick idea. Yeah, so like, and obviously, like, we know this is a similar story. We've already talked about some of the um, people looking at telescopes and stuff in between then and the 20th century. But Edwin Hubble deserves a bit of a shout out in this little narrative. Okay. For um, Eddie. Eddie. For using a whole bunch of cool maths and, and tools um, to get a sense of the full scale of the universe for the first time. So up until this point, we just see the stars that we can see and we could we could think, oh, it must be quite big. So they had estimates of how big the universe is and it's like kind of comically small um, now. And then he actually measured astronomical distance um, of Andromeda Galaxy, the closest Which is galaxy. Nearest I think. One, yeah, yeah. The nearest that's galaxy. the one that's going to ram into us. Oh yeah, that's coming for us, yeah, isn't it? For us. What do you mean? Galaxies how? collide all no, the time. How did he measure the distance? He's I don't know. Oh, um, probably like red light, blue It'll be light, light distribution blue light thing. thing. Yeah. Basically, bodies as they move away, like if they move further away from you, they emit red light. It's a red yes. shift in the light that's coming back. Yeah. So they're tending towards the red part of the spectrum. Yeah. And if they're coming towards you, they're tending towards the blue part of the Sick. spectrum. Because How the fuck do we know that? Because <laughs> waves are, waves, it's the Doppler effect. It's, it's the, the same effect. as sound. So waves are going faster when they're coming towards you. Yeah, man. You just and get so pitted. They get the <laughs> waves like this just long just fucking smack the loop. So like the trombone out the side of a truck is like. <laughs> Wait, no, it's a good <laughs> If it was a trombone, you could make it the same note. <laughs> like, no, but it changes as you shift away from it. You know, but that's the thing. You could make the note higher <laughs> no, as you're true. playing that's it. That's a good point. And try and maintain yeah. a Fucking single um, trombone so note. Stupid. Defy the Doppler effect. You're right. You're right. But I mean, so, and Hubble obviously had this, the telescope named after him. Yeah, so yeah, Hubble yeah. Space Tel- which is the one that's on, no. No. Not on the ISS, but it's in space. It's, it's in a, space. It's in space. Just like James Webb. James Webb, my boy. I love boy. that. Is James, yeah. is James Webb in space? <laughs> he's in space, just like James Webb. <laughs> my research. We, he's not allowed to come back. Not after what he did. He knows what he did. It's the uh, new and improved space telescope, which allowed us to get some gorgeous photography yes. of uh, the pillars of creation. And like and, uh, every fucking and like, the spider gallery. Gender, re- gender reveal party. <laughs> yeah. That's how the nebula was actually created initially. It's a gender reveal party. <laughs> just gone from space. Civilization permanently gone. Yeah. And also gone for some time. It's because, a boy. Because of the way light travels. Oh, yeah. And because of how far away it is. Oh, we're going to get is always traveling at, I think, three by 10 to the eighth power. You know, you, you know it's a boy that's coming towards you because of, <laughs> oh because, of, because of the blue tint. Fuck off. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> never ask me any questions. That's the pillars of creation. The yeah, pillars yeah, yeah. of creation. But, but the I thing mean, is, is, you that can Google that, that for a nice light picture. has that taken so show. long to reach us that whatever caused it is likely gone. It's like supernovas, that if we spot a supernova, supernovas only last like 30 minutes or something. They last a really, really short amount of time. This is the but James we Webb version. There's of it. a James Webb photo of it. Guys, just look up just the look. pillars of creation. So we're only seeing supernovas for a little while, but that supernova probably happened like, like billions of years sometimes ago. Sometimes trillions of years well, ago. Well, actually, we, the theory is that the supernova. <laughs> you see a supernova, you're just like, ah, oh, what a shame. You hate to see it. The, the supernovas that we're seeing are probably the deaths of the first stars, suns that were ever created, first stars that were ever created. You can't just say because that. Because so it's so far it. away. Yeah. I'm, I'm upset yeah. about it. Which is why probably people, like, if there is life on other planets, they're probably still seeing the dinosaurs. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not seeing shit. Well, they might if they they're have really telescopes. They're far away. They might. We're looking and we don't see them. Yeah, but they might be more advanced than us. Oh, that's actually right. a bit spooky, isn't it? <laughs> side note. Side note. Fun little side note. The speed of light... 
because it's a concert. <laughs> hey guys, you know what's really fun? The speed of light. Which is just under 300,000 kilometers a second, I think, or meters a second. 300, no. Ah, damn it. It's 300 million, isn't it? Can guys, it we all have phones. <laughs> just just, just that have access to the, the speed internet. of light equals. Um, it actually is used as a constant when defining seconds. 300 million meters a second. <laughs> and meters. Meters and meters are actually defined by the speed of light. I thought they were defined by like how far away something is. <laughs> <laughs> well, originally, In so space. meters. The the origin of the metric system is with the French Revolution, where they were just like, let's <laughs> oh change God. everything, right? Okay. <laughs> and it was this liberty, equality, <laughs> fraternity, and about over there. <laughs> about as far as my friend from me. Uh. <laughs> no, no, they, they had a formal definition. <laughs> it had a formal definition. Would you like to hear it? and uh, social distancing. Would <laughs> you like to hear the original definition of a meter yeah. from the 18th century? A metre. Yeah. A metre. <laughs> One ten millionth of the shortest distance from the North Pole to the equator, passing through Paris. <laughs> no, you know, you know. Assuming the Earth flattens at 1 over 334. <laughs> I hate that. I hate it. So they uh, had, really how they did it is they had a platinum bar that was based off that. And they kept that in Paris. And if you wanted to know what a meter is, you had to take your horse and carriage <laughs> and go to Paris, go to Paris and find the platinum bar and compare your dick to it. That, that, is a, that is a lot. Compare your dick. I, I, that's a, it's a lot harder than just going about that. About that. What but about see, a furlong? And then, what about, what about a, a fucking, how, what's the one in the Bible? Cubic. A cu- cubit. <laughs> cubit. You know, it f- became an uh, international measurement officially at the Meter Convention of 1875. The Meter Convention? That goes off, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually like raucous. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the Pluto Convention. Yeah. In 1960, they built a non-materialistic definition, and that is based off the wavelengths produced by a decaying Krypton-86 isotope oh using speed of light as a constant. It's about 100 centimetres. It's about 100 centimetres. I think we can about this far. <laughs> Who cares? It's like the length <laughs> of a long stride. We can, we can all agree on that, right? Yeah. Can I just ask, what the fuck are they wasting time on? <laughs> it's about that far away. <laughs> Okay. I'm serious. <laughs> like at this it's point, time. it's a bit ridiculous. Why would you, instead of just going like, we're going to break things up into like things that are relative to, you know, human ways of viewing things, <laughs> i.e. how long is this about that? Like, why the fuck do we need to go to like passing through Paris from the sp- and, and relative <laughs> to speed of light to figure out that the couch <laughs> is about that long? <laughs> I hate this. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, think I prefer I'm, the decaying isotope. I think... <laughs> think you've maybe hate the French. <laughs> I think that's bad. It's time to talk oh. about how humans have explored space. For we looked upon the stars in the heavens for a long time mm. and we have been curious about it since our very beginnings, writing it on walls and stuff, which is really, really cool. That is cool. But at some point we decided, let's go. Let's fucking, it let's sucks here. here. Let's it go. Sucks. There's this great, I think it's just a line in the film Apollo 13. And Jim Lovell's like, he's watching his eye up to the moon at night. Just Is that the after first the- Tom Hanks biopic? No. I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> it wasn't the last. And it wasn't the last, that's for sure. But he's holding his thumb up to the moon and stuff. It's that scene. Mm-hmm. And he says like, there's, there's nothing, I don't remember exactly what he says, but there's nothing special about it. It's just, we decided to go. Yeah. That's pretty like, cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and of course, we, there's nothing like, special about it. We just decided to measure the distance of this table using the speed of light, like a bunch of fucking assholes. People were playing with rockets in the 30s to 50s, and 
blowing stuff up until they eventually figured out how to get into space. Who did it first? Who did it first? Well, who got rockets into space? I actually don't know who got rockets no, into no, space. No, like who, because who, like, like who won? Who won the space race? Tell me. Debatable. No, so tell me now. Definitively who won. The space race <laughs> was obviously this, like it's pretty well known, like this political contest between the Soviet Union and the US to get up into space first. It wasn't actually formally to get to the moon first. That was a goalpost that was set by JFK. Because the, they we choose lost. to go to the moon. Because they lost. Yeah, well, yeah, because a man got to the moon. No, a man got into space before. Sorry, a man got yeah. to the moon. Yuri Gagarin was the because first the person in, in space. the moon. The man in the moon. <laughs> in the moon. In the moon. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I just spoke over the name of the man who got into the in, into, into space. space. Yuri yeah. Gagarin, who went up alone. And I really just, okay, this is in 1961. So the Beatles haven't, you know, happened yet. So yeah. just, that's a time reference. And as we know, the Russian accent is the Liverpoolian accent. <laughs> yeah. So like it's, that hadn't happened important. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important. Um, it was actually John. Um, John. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri John Lennon Gagarin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Yuri Gagarin, um, and he was—he went into space alone. And this blows my head off because no one's ever done this before. It's really hard to get this into our head. He was going into a rocket, which mostly didn't work. Like the Soviets had a different approach with rockets than the US. The US had this really meticulous, like, be careful what you launch. We're only going to launch it once and get it right sort of thing. Yeah. The Soviets just launch a bunch of rockets and figured out what failed, which yeah. meant that they did it really, really fast. They figured out what worked really fast, but they just blew up a ton of rockets. <laughs> they, were, they were Russian. <laughs> they were Russian the whole project. They were fucking, yeah. They needed to get it done. Yes. Thank you. One of us was going to make that you joke. Can and my silence was Take uh, safety protocol and stick up your <laughs> asshole. Sergei <laughs> so Korolev, who was the main engineer dude behind the, the rocketing. Anyway, so... Um, so he would have seen like a ton of these blow up and he's just going up on this massive, cool looking, ugly Soviet rocket by himself. Did they? Here's the question, like mathematically, because I know that like fuel is important and like the balance of the weight and everything. Did they have to like counter for the size of his balls? His, <laughs> his, his like pendulous, gigantic balls. So another thing about, yes, so he gets up there, yes. you know, reportedly his first, there's a lot of folklore around this, but I think that's permissible because it's a pretty epic moment for humanity. Yep. Um, like his only words before going up into space where let's go, which sounds a lot like a very nervous person going, just fucking do it. Just, fucking <laughs> just let's, press the button. Uh, let me out. He wasn't Did driving he let's at all. Go? Let me out of rocket. <laughs> These early prototypes, same with Alan Shepard with the US when he was um, circumnavigating and stuff, he, they, they didn't control it. Yes, it was controlled it was from the ground. Controlled. So he's just Someone in a, a fucking... ball. And it is a ball, by the way. <laughs> it's a ball. It's a ball. Like, picture like Sputnik with the ball and those angry spikes. Okay. That is what Yuri Gagarin is inside. They put they, they put him threw in a, a man inside a ball <laughs> into the void we know nothing about, and then came back didn't down. Didn't know again. what the impact of going into space was going to be on the human body either. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. didn't. Well, know. They, so like, they knew a little bit. Because remember, they had sent animals into was space. Was he like oh, a? Sad. Was he like a dissident? So actually, actually, you know, I'm going to say this before I finish Yuri Gagarin's stories. Like, he, special that he was the first human. Yeah. <laughs> he was a dissident. Yeah. So he was honored. Um, so. They, they, he wasn't the first living being into space. Of course, they did bad things to animals. Yes, indeed. But so there were earlier things. They sent the dog up and they sent other animals in, um, in cages and stuff and just left them there. I so love they the died. amount of works of fiction that are designed, like science fiction, that are designed to make us feel better <laughs> about, like it lived in something else. So in terms of like Earth creatures, they're the first creatures to actually go into space. Yeah. Which is also a pretty remarkable thing. Yeah. It's just a shame that they didn't survive. Sputnik five in nineteen sixty was actually the first animals and plants to come back 
alive. Right. So they did actually bring back alive um, two dogs, Belka and Strelka. Right. <laughs> who are on poster stamps and stuff in Russia today. Cool. Belka and Strelka. They also had a rabbit, some rats, they had they had flies. They had some flies yeah, well, in a box. Yeah. And they had forty two mice. House, you know. Forty two mice. Forty two. Forty two. Uh, why did they I don't need know. so many? Like two mice. would have probably been fine. Yeah. Um anyway. Anyway, fun story. They, they were they, there was like forty two rats on Yuri's one as well. They just didn't know about them. <laughs> Strelka then gets had a into puppy. space screaming like the rats, rats all through shit. <laughs> um, there's an animated Russian movie called Space Dogs. It's like a kids movie okay. about Belka and Strelka. Right. And their puppy descendants, one of them was actually given to JFK <laughs> for some reason. And then that one had a litter. <laughs> that which, feels vindictive. And then Kennedy named the, the litter Pupniks, which I actually think oh, is pretty funny. Oh, that's nice. Um, Anyway, so Yuri Gagarin, the first human into space, then had to land. But land is an interesting term for what they had designed. Um, they just sort of rocketed him down to the ground, and this could have gone horribly wrong because it did. It was meant to like land like with a parachute, but it just sort of went down. It just fell. <laughs> he actually had to eject okay. from the pod because the pod was coming down like a comet spinning in a, like a death roll of fire. <laughs> okay. And he said, time to go. Uh, time to go. <laughs> so he ejects out and he lands somewhere in the Russian wilderness and just walks up to a woman in Siberia who quite probably has no fucking clue what is it's going, going on. Yeah, because, because you remember like NASA is over there going like to, on TV being like, oh, an astronaut's cool. Like we're going to space. It's awesome. And Russians are like, this is a huge secret. No one secret should know. Program. So no one had known he'd launched. No one had known he'd gone up. And a woman just sees a spaceship crash and a man coming out of it. And this is literally the thinking why they put CCCP on his helmet. It's so that they would so know they, he's not an enemy. Oh, yeah, wow. Oh, so because they were just, they might have That's a, yeah, okay. I can't believe they have a Soviet Union on other planets. <laughs> anyway, so that's the story of Yuri Gagarin. And some unmanned ones are really cool. So the, basically the Soviets were ruling the space race early on. In the late 50s, they had Luna 3. Which is I the, mean, a total lack of safety will do it to you. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? They get stuff done fast and then very badly. Um, so Luna 3 was in 1959. It was actually the first time they used a slingshot maneuver. Okay. Slingshot maneuver is how we get probes to distant planets because you, you can't get there by the power of its own thing. It would be way too slow. So you, use, you go around a planet and it grabs all of that massive gravitational pull and slingshots it forward. Isn't that, isn't that how they do the time travel in Star Trek Voyage Home? Yes. yes. It's also how in the show Farscape, Ben Brown... No, ben no, Brown. Ben Brown. That is the actor that plays ben the character. John Crichton <laughs> opens up a wormhole and then dives into it because he's trying a crazy slingshot maneuver. Shit, yeah. Um, so, but this was a really, really cool thing because it went to the far side of the moon and it was actually the first craft to send back a photo. Right. Now... Send back a photo. I'm thinking, yeah, it's like Wi-Fi. And you're like, how did they do yeah, wait, this in 1959? Yeah, yeah. So this is how they do it. They actually do it in a really similar way now because it's sent back via... <laughs> Carrier pigeon <laughs> from space. It's more like a fax. So they send it back via radio waves. Right? Okay. So, and that's actually, that's how we do it now, right? We're communicating with the probes with radio waves. Okay. That's how you do it. Okay. So EM let's, radiation. Let's just, let's just go past the fact that I simply do not understand how that works. Yeah. We don't need to know. We on. don't really need to know. Okay. But so what gets me is the fact that digital cameras don't exist yet. So what it's done is it's taken a photo of like the moon and of earth and stuff and it has just used a literal lens camera with the you know mirrors and normal in a camera 
and to imp- put an impression on photosensitive film, literal film in the spacecraft that is then using a, th- a system similar to a photocopier to sort of, it's not actually digitizing it because it's analog, but to convert it into radio waves like a fax machine converts it into a voltage <laughs> signal. So can it's you be analog the fax machines can it's literally TV. It's TV. It's the same as TV. TV, analog TV was radio waves transmitting analog encoded video. Okay, can you be allergic to words? Because <laughs> I, I think I'm, I want to fucking vomit. <laughs> so that just blew my mind. Like, imagine coming up with this idea. Really cool part of this story is that, like, um, in Luna 9, um, Luna 9 was the first probe to land on the moon. It was actually the first soft landing on any celestial body. And I didn't know about this because, again, it's Soviet. Um, yeah, because the space race has kind of dominated one, with our narrative of NASA. Yeah, or the, with a fucking classic US cultural hegemony yeah. shit. Yeah. So, but it's also the first photo from another celestial body. And I looked at it and it makes me want to cry because photos from other planets just make me want to cry because I just imagine it's like that we've never imagined this before. This is literally from the surface of a place that used to be seen as mystical to us. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this was meant to be a secret. They sent it back um, via encoded radio waves. And the Soviet government wanted to hide it. But the thing is, one observatory in England, the Godrell Bank Observatory, um, recognized, picked up the signal and they recognized it as a really familiar encoding. It was the same that they use in newspapers. Newspapers use that code for a similar process all the time. So they just decoded it and published it. So they published it to the world. um, And the BBC actually still believe that the scientists in the Soviet scientists deliberately used an obvious code so that it would break the sensor and be published which makes me want to punch the air everything is awesome that's <laughs> like so everything is awesome cool. subterfuge is awesome yes um oh, doxing sick. the fucking probe not so awesome <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool yeah so like and they also said so the oh. soviets this is my other favorite one i like the soviets sent mars 2 was the first thing to land on mars and it was in 1971 they were sending stuff to Mars. They were attempting to send stuff to Mars in 1963. 63, they were sending stuff off. It didn't work. They, they were lost ambitious. Contact with them. They were fucking ambitious. <laughs> but Mars 2 didn't so much land on Mars as crash on Mars, but it was still the victory. I'm sort of imagining the control room just kind of like, we've lost contact, but it landed. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we shot it. Mars. <laughs> the first thing to hit Mars. <laughs> so we've had probes go to every planet in the system now, haven't we? Because we had yes. all of the the ones that went to Mercury what were called, what were they, Messenger? Messenger. And then we the had most recent one. Um, the Mariner. Mariner to Mars. To Mars. We've that had, was the first stuff to successfully get the there one, from the US. What was the one, that, Venera to Venus? Yep. Nice. I love, again, the naming. Gorgeous. The naming. Love Everything. it. Yeah. Um, and then we had what? Juno to Juno, Jupiter. Juno, which is a backronym, which means it's it, it's an, they created a title so that it would create an acronym. It's what Jovian <laughs> Orbital Orbital something. Yeah, but that would be no, Jono. No, no. Oh. Jovi, Jovian Orbital. Oh fuck, I used to know what this was. Okay. But it doesn't matter. I'm it was it to say Juno, which is the wife of And then you had Jupiter. so you had Voy One, Voy Two, and yep. Cassini and New Horizons. The Voyager probes excite me a great deal. 
And it's not just because of Star Trek, the motion picture from 1979. Vija. Vija, in which the, a great huge machine that has grown from the Voyager probes returns to Earth and is sentient, which is a really cool idea. Yeah. And it was only made, they made that movie, by the way, like two years after Voyager was launched, yeah, making because, it a really cool because idea. Because somebody just went like, fuck, that's so sick. What if? <laughs> anyway, so the reason why the Voyager program existed is because way back in the like even 40s and 50s, astronomers realized that in the late 70s, the planets, the outer planets would align. Right. And they saw this as a curse. <laughs> like, so no, they didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> they saw the outer planets aligning and they're like, we could... Exploit like, this. We could, exp- we could make a religion out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They were like, we can actually send a probe really, really easily now because the, the distance between them is so much smaller and you don't have to make them zigzag around the place to get to the, these distant planets. So at this point... Only, I think we had visited Jupiter and Saturn. I think the Pioneer probes did, but from a great distance as a flyby. So this was the first time they were actually trying to get there and they had never gone to Neptune or Uranus, um, which is really, really cool. So Yeah, we'd never seen those planets close by. Yeah, a grand tour of the solar system, but I just got so excited about the fact that we were sending these things off going like, they'd never been there before. Nothing has. We've never gone. (laughs) And now we're sending something just from like, Hope it gets there. And it takes like decades. So it was launched in 1977. I'm not sure exactly when it reached the outer planets, but... I think it was the 90s. Um, and what's really fun is that they, after they'd done their, their job, they'd Voyager 2, for example, went to the Neptune and Uranus. And then both of them were just like, well, you may as well just go off into the abyss. Send them away. Ta-ta. <laughs> so they were sent into the blackness, into Dark the endless speed. void. And they're still there. So Voyager 1 is the furthest probe from Earth currently. Yeah. Voyager 1 is 161 astronomical units away. What's an astronomical unit? It oh. is the distance from Earth to the sun. So How many 20- meters is that? <laughs> How many French meters is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, What's that in Palais de Versailles? 24 billion kilometers. Okay. Okay, so it's unfathomable. It's, I think it's something like 22 light hours away because it takes radio waves travel at the speed of light. So it takes 22 hours to get a signal to it and back. Um, is that the one that they updated recently? Yeah. So Voyager, Voyager 1, the only thing that can, that can talk to... Um, no, sorry, it's Voyager 2. The only thing that can talk to Voyager 2 is actually a dish in Canberra. I don't know why exactly. Is that a program? Is that a computer? What is that? A dish. Oh, a dish in Canberra. I thought you said a dish in Canberra. It's from there. So there's this awesome, the, the massive probes, there's this network of um, radio telescopes, the dishes, all around the world called the Deep Space Network and they're all coordinating. So they receive... <sighs> so the, you know why? Sick. You know why? It's because they have to have one in like Madrid and in California and in Canberra because the Earth has to be facing the probe Basically, it needs right. radio waves need line of sight because they're a wave heading towards. Like you're on the night shift, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're on the night shifts. So, the, but the only but we go out of out of communication with Voyager two, I think, because the only dish left that can talk to it is in Canberra, and has to be really, really big. I think it's seventy meters. Okay. Um, this is the same complex that has the parked radio telescope, by the way, from the film The Dish. Yes, um, the best movie. Is it the best? It's movie? so good. Okay. Okay. Um, I just, yeah, I'm really excited by this because they, they, I saw a video of this guy taking a tour of of this whole facility and the guy explaining, oh, here's the, the board up the top and I had the, they had a screen that was showing the, the different probes it's communicating to. And I was like, that was oh, MER, that's the Mars rover. We're communicating to it right now. And then there was just one, this looks like, like a drive-through 
Macca's window, by the way. It looks really bad. It doesn't look... <laughs> like doesn't a flight look, board. <laughs> yeah, it's with this cheesy thing being like, deep space network with like curvy writing. And then it's like VGR2. VGR2. And it was like, holy shit, they're communicating with it. Recently, they, they updated the software. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> but it's nearly, it's nearly dead. So these guys are powered. I was thinking, how are they powered? It can't be solar. They can't even see the sun anymore. So they're powered by a decaying plutonium isotope. <laughs> It's a radioactive oh. thermoscopic generator, something like that. We sent kryptonite into space. <laughs> <laughs> um, decaying plutonium isotope. And it was only meant to last until 2020. They've messed with it to last it longer. Most of its equipment is no longer functioning, including its camera. But you've got a few things that still work, so it can still pick up stuff as it's passing into the right. interstellar medium. I love that, that that's such a consistent narrative with all of these probes is like, People are working on it. They're like, we built it to last 12 years. And then as soon as they get to the end, they're like, can we get more time though? Can we just like- Just squeeze just a little squeeze more, more time. And they, said, they did that with the um, with um, Messenger, didn't they? They like yeah. they like blew helium out the back to try and keep it afloat. To keep it thrust, yeah. So that it could keep but, moving. And but like, okay, so the, the software update, these things were designed in 1976. What were they coding this thing with? <laughs> like they need old technology just to communicate with it. And on top of that, like the- um, like the camera is old, like it's. No, I forgot what I was saying. Never mind. Sick. I mean, <laughs> well, also the Voyager. Which one? One of them has the plate on it, right? Or do they both? They have both that? have the golden record. They have yes. both have the golden record, which is like if another world that has life finds it, it we've encoded. At least about we it. have Michael Jackson's Thriller on board. I don't think it is on there. You don't think it's? You don't think Michael Jackson's Thriller is, on is the, golden, the golden, record? golden record? I've got the full list on my laptop. Okay. We're not we're not doing that. <laughs> it's really cool because it's got a whole bunch of folk music. Do you know that actually the, the grooves of the record, it's not just music and sound because it's also got greetings in like 200 languages, including Sumerian. Akkadian and Sumerian, Okay. Um, which is awesome. Um, but the, the actual images are in an analog encoding thing in the groove. Um, and the instructions on the plate, those cool shapes that are like etched into the gold thing, they're actually visual instructions to decode it. If found, return to... <laughs> Yeah. And then we had... Um, what the fuck? Yeah. And then, <laughs> then we had New Horizons. Just one thing I wanted to say for the New Horizons probe. So the man who discovered it, Clyde, who discovered Pluto. He, did, he discovered it. Clyde this is a, found this probe in my backyard. <laughs> he died nine years before the New Horizons probe was launched. And he asked the people at NASA, if you ever send a probe to Pluto, I would like some of my ashes to be put on the probe. Okay. And so they did that. So Clyde Tomboy's ashes visited Pluto. Amazing. What and year, what year now, did he die? He died nine years before it was launched, so that so would be man. 1998. Right, so before, and then they had the fucking nerve to like, while his ashes are on the way, to <laughs> yes. go like, fuck that place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fuck that whole but planet. But it's so, because it, we, were, we were watching this yesterday. <laughs> we were watching the episode about the, the sort of outer planets and- Every single time Brian Cox brings that up, they're like his his ashes. He, the man who discovered this planet, got to visit it in some way. It just makes me want to cry. It's amazing. It's beautiful because like this is a man who cared so much. Yeah. Just wasn't a scientist by trade, but just cared so much about discovery and curiosity. And it's beautiful. And I absolutely love that. Just as a way of transitioning to the void here. Oh, yes. Um, so Voyager is traveling at about 16 kilometers a second. 
17 kilometers a second, <laughs> which is insane. This is where it's on track to. So it's going to reach a the thing called the Oort cloud, the Oort cloud of icy stuff, uh, which is theorized, and we don't know it exists. But it should reach it and in three hundred years. No, it exists, but it should reach it in three hundred years. You hearing yourself, and it will take thirty thousand years for it to cross. In just three hundred thousand years, Voyager One will pass within one light year of M three V star TYC three one thirty five fifty two one. Not so good at naming. To quote NASA, the voyagers are destined, perhaps eternally, to wander the Milky Way. We don't have enough words in all of the languages to name all the stars cool shit, okay? Okay, that's fair. So, that's fair. So that's, that's We called it winter. So we've already alluded to... We called them to, all winter. <laughs> we, we've already alluded to the fact that the universe is ever-expanding. The idea that it... That, that, the absolute nothingness and emptiness could expand seems insane, yes. but it is. Uh, okay. okay. It's, it is simply so, insane. It's so yeah, this is, this is a <sighs> fun little section. We're going to transition. Are you to. telling me that things that are like literally mutually exclusive yeah. just aren't just aren't. Yeah. But like, are you going to, are you going to explain that no, to no, me? No, or no, are you no, just going to expect me to go like, yeah, well, yeah just accept it. Sick. So the, <laughs> the way that I want to structure our conversation about the endless existential expanse of the unknowable void, uh, uh, which, <laughs> You know, um, is through Brian Cox. Thank God. The avatar to the void. <laughs> yes. So Brian Cox has done several documentary series about the universe and the planets because he is a astrophysicist and he's a very intelligent man and he's a very charming man. Um, and he's a very, very good presenter. But he did two documentaries which we, meaning Sam and I, watched called The Wonders of the Universe and the planets. The wonders. And so I'm going to start with the wonders. He's along the lines of like Carl Sagan where it's like, he it, fucking loves it's, it's like Sagan. it's like somebody who's trained to give you bad news in like a really softly spoken <laughs> yeah. voice. Where it's just like the only way that I can express this information to you in a way that means that you're not going to have a fucking stroke <laughs> hearing it is if I talk like this about the universe. What I love is that Carl Sagan had a sort of like a poetic tone. It felt like a profound thing he's saying. But Brian Cox will just say the most profound shit as if it's just like fact, as if it's just like talking about the an interesting thing about a bridge. Like, <laughs> so the first episode of this documentary, The Wonders of the Universe, literally is him describing the inevitable heat death of the universe. Okay, sad. So, but is it sad? It is sad. <laughs> okay. Ego. So, just so that we can get to the end and we can all just kind of sit with that feeling, eventually every star will expand and consume every planet and then we'll continue to decay until it evaporates into heatless photon clouds of blackness. This has, this has okay. a fundamental reason, doesn't it? Because the, the reason why this is going to happen is because the world, it's because of the second law of thermodynamics, okay. which is that the world is tending towards greater entropy, greater chaos. In other words, like all energy tends towards disorder. Disorder. So it's, so it's like light that's reflects That's been my onto, experience on the whole. And the thing that's really fascinating about this is essentially the universe was created, the Big Bang occurred, and it was in maximum disarray. And then our order became the common... Cosmos out of chaos. Yes. And we are now in the Stellaris period of this of the of the universe okay. where the 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 place is ruled by suns and by planets and by stars but these will have finite resources our sun 
has a finite amount of helium and hydrogen, which it converts to helium to heat its process. Once it's run out of hydrogen, it will have to, um, it'll slow down and it'll compress, which will then heat it back up and make it expand out. It will consume Mercury, Venus, and it will stop just shy of Earth in that process and become a red giant. Through this process, though, something kind of amazing could happen in the sense that planets that are past the snow line are now going to be receiving way more heat and way more light. So there might be a second bloom of life in the outer regions of space. We're going to get out of here. <laughs> so We're going to get out of here. What so like Titan, not safe? Titan could become, because it has an atmosphere and it's had liquid before, like it, Titan, could, actually, yeah, Titan, it could actually become a, a habitable planet. Yes. Because it would be so much warmer. And in the, in the year new 2006, people go like, no. Nah. Fuck not, that place. Not a planet. Fuck not that a place. fucking planet. So. What? It's a moon. And I don't then know what <laughs> after it burns through all of its helium, the sun will shrink into what is known as a white dwarf star. Okay. It's pretty. It's quite pretty. And then it'll basically just slowly dim until it's gone. Like us all. But what about um, a supernova then? Supernovas only occur in the most massive of stars. Oh. So these are red giants that become... Oh, yeah. So Betelgeuse. Yeah, Betelgeuse. It's worth saying, you think our star, we think of that the sun is really, really big. It's, the thing is, it's, 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 it's like not that big. It's small. There's, there's suns She's which little. are like billions upon billions times the size of our star. So... But what's really cool... I'm going to close my eyes for the <laughs> Okay, so it's in the process of going from our sun to a giant, red giant, you have some of the natural elements of the world created. You have things like carbon, oxygen, all of that is created in that process. Yeah. Excuse me. Terrific, but Thank you. Um, so the heavier elements on the periodic table that make up the building blocks we need for all of the things in the universe. Like life, you mean? No, no, no. Just stuff. Stuff is created in a second of a supernova of the largest stars. <sighs> so it's basically like as is the supernova is happening and it's like it expanding. It's hot enough for fusion to happen to create these heavier elements. Because you have to actually create, these are atoms combining and splitting and stuff. So it requires a massive amount of energy, which is heat. So this can only happen in the in a supernova and only for about like 10 seconds. Is it's that how like a seconds. nuclear explosion works? Because you're just basically unlocking sort of the power it's kind of, of the compressing, sun <laughs> temporarily. Yeah. I think that's actually through fission, not fusion, but... I don't really know the I difference. I don't know the difference. <laughs> but what's really kind of incredible is that gold, silver, yeah, those elements are created in, the, in a fifth second of the beginning of a supernova occurring in the largest stars. The things that we wear around Stars our- going out, just going, I'm fucking rich! <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that Sam and I wear around our finger, the rings we wear, which is the common, this is the most common form that gold is existing in, in the in, in, uh, on Earth, is in gold rings and okay. gold jewellery, is made in the second of a supernova of the largest stars. That's romantic as shit. Okay. Sick. It's beautiful. We're all just dying so fast. Okay. You guys have upset me so much yes. today. So <laughs> the, this is going to upset you even more. So what they've basically discovered is the universe is tending in this direction because the universe is tending towards entropy, which means that it's only time can only go in one direction. It's called the arrow of time theory, which essentially is- oh, It's just so sick. There's a one-way <laughs> direction just, everything to time. Everything is named perfectly. So cool. It's just so good. And this is because- Essentially, this is because it's 
about this concept of low versus high entropy. Again, I'm really sorry about the physics lecture that you guys are getting right now. Hit me. Um, so strike me down. Low Apologize for nothing. <laughs> so low entropy means that there is um, the structure is ordered to the point where it's unlikely that that could happen by chance. So it has to be formed like that. High entropy means that there's greater ways that that could happen. So the way that Brian Cox des uh, describes this is the difference between a sand castle and a pile of sand. The sand castle is the order. For, for sand to fall and form a sand castle, those have to f the, the bits of sand have to fall in such a precise way to create that. Whereas to create a pile of sand, it could fall in various different ways. It would still create a pile of sand. Yeah. So the universe is going from sandcastle to pile of sand. Because the, by the laws of, of like just the universe. Yes. Um, it's more probable that it's chaos more will occur. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do with that what you will. Yep. So basically. <laughs> Thanks. Take it home and, this and the same, give it some This food. is the same thing that happens with like heat. So cold isn't actually a thing. You can't, cold is the absence of heat. Is the movement of heat away from you. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's, we're going in a- That feels a lot like an anti-cold sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me just reassess my notes. So I literally did look up, um, my my search history is fucked from this episode. The heat <laughs> death of the universe. Um, You're an existentialist watch list now. <laughs> I love existentialism. Um, so the other reason why- we call it the heat death is because essentially it's not even just because the stars will burn out, which are a source of heat. It's because the nature, the way that the universe is expanding means that the um, energy is being dissipated over a larger area, which means it's effectively cooling. Okay. Nice. Right? Nice. It's getting more chill. The vibes are getting better. Getting really chill until there are no more vibes left. Or to put it another way, the vibes vibe are decreasing. Yeah, the vibe is deteriorating, <laughs> but it's um, getting more chill. And so like- that's where we're going. But the thing that I really had loved about the way that Brian Cox sort of presented this horrible news is that... <laughs> it's just <laughs> awful news. So when will our son die? I think they, he said, like, it's going to be like 100 billion years for our son to yeah, die. And it's a while it's, away. And then it's going to be like another, like, 100, 100, 100 billion years until the heat death of the... Like, hundreds, oh, no, no, no. It was, billions and billions and it billions. It was like a number that can't really exist in our yeah, number system. Like it was like so, a trillion, 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 trillion something. So to put so it like, time. To pr put everyone at ease we aren't going to experience the heat death of the universe so yeah. we don't have to worry about that because by the time we get even close to it we're going to be a exist. sea yeah. of lifeless photons floating through the cosmos and also like what do you even mean <laughs> <laughs> doesn't that make matter itself will cease to exist and only particles will exist well, i think the context that makes the sun shit okay for me because i'm not even going to bother with the heat death of the universe because <laughs> it's just I've reached once again that <laughs> level of science, which is just like, fuck it. I don't need to measure that. Um, <laughs> is that <laughs> like, it's far enough away that human beings as a species, if we even survive, will have evolved into something so different and so far <laughs> beyond ourselves that it is impossible for us to relate to or measure. And that makes it feel okay because it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> make me think just like, oh, my kids will be swallowed by the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Help me. The so on a more, uh, yeah. well, just to like transition into a Would you more, like to be optimistic first? Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, let me let me let me transition us from this because I think it's important oh, to I kind just of, want to highlight what my posture looks like right now. <laughs> just I'm like just slumped. I'm slumped in my fucking chair. So Carl Sagan has this beautiful statement 
which is We Are Made of Stardust. I love which it. I really love. And this is the thing that Brian Cox really leans on is the fact that like, it's not just that our, when we- The cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff and we are a way for the cosmos to know itself. It's beautiful. Is the Carl Sagan quote. It's beautiful. And so- Cosmos to know itself. You see, I know that because people on YouTube did like the symphony of science shit yeah. where they just like auto-tuned Carl Sagan stuff into beautiful songs. <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole song. Um, but the the thing that Brian Cox points out is like, yes, we will eventually become something else. You yeah. Know, we will become rocks and trees. But it's also important to know that we were once rocks and trees. Before we were here, we were something else. And we, it's this endless cycle. And it's this beautiful, if you, if you kind of allow yourself to just kind of accept that that's true, you cannot kind of have this profound understanding and overwhelming appreciation for our existence. And this is kind of something akin to the overview effect, which is the thing that astronauts experience when they are in space and see Earth. And this idea of like an increased sense of connection to others in the Earth as a whole through seeing the beauty and the wonder of it. And like we... Obviously, not like we are never going to be in space. You, us three, we're never they going to space. Let me go. They wouldn't they let, let me go to space. <laughs> so I'm the, claustrophobic and vision impaired. <laughs> I would be the guy in the science fiction movie yes. that goes insane five minutes. Yes. Trip. So we have to experience this overview effect through like photos and, and yeah. all of the amazing things that the Voyager probes and all the probes have sent back to us of, of Saturn's rings and the backlit Saturn photo. But yeah, one of the amazing. most incredible ones are always the shots of, of us, of, of earth. Yeah. And one of the most prof- profound photos is Earthrise, which is the, the photo taken from the moon. No, it's from as the, as um, I think Apollo 8 was mm. coming around the moon. Apollo 8 did a circumnavigation of the moon. Yeah. So they were looking as the Earth was coming up the horizon over the moon. Right. Like Earth rising over the moon. It's one of the most Earth amazing rise. photos. Yeah. Is a cool word. Yeah, yeah. And it was taken on these are little film cameras that were handheld with a little. Which it was sort of, Jim Lovell, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Jim Lovell's crew. Oh. I don't think he took the photo though. I don't remember who took the photo. But they take the. There's actually audio recordings of them taking that photo, and you can hear them go, "Oh, that was a good one." understated like yeah. Yeah, family <clears throat> that's changed humans knowledge of themselves um, <laughs> yeah and it's just it's so it's so beautiful and I think it's uh, there's a sort of spiritualism to space yes which we can access through through our imaginations um, and also through photos like that I also want to bring up the band Public Service Broadcasting yes because please because there's this very strange art rock band from, from Britain that put um, old archived audio of people talking and documentaries and stuff. Into song. Into song. And so they have a whole album in 2015 called The Race for Space, which is all about the space race. And it's using um, real audio from people, astronauts in space and from- The iconic song from that album is Go. Yeah, Go, where you actually have the sound from Mission Control of them um, making all the um, orders and decisions when the moon lander is actually landing for yeah. Apollo 11. It is. Tear-inducing. Yeah, the whole album is tear-inducing. It just, it just gets me. And there's something and there's, about space just gets me like The song that. Gagarin, which is like all yeah. the all the stuff about Yuri Gagarin going to space. It's just this fucking jam. Yeah, <laughs> like, it goes, so it goes off. It goes hard. It's so sick. And of course, there's there's tragedies there as well in space exploration as well. There's a song about the Apollo 1 fire, um, which the crew of Apollo 1 were killed on the ground because they were trapped inside their own ca- um, capsule during a test. Right, um, and a fire broke out because they hadn't realized the, the physical nature of static electricity in the context that they were in. They hadn't 
worked that out yet. Just absolutely tragic. So, so they, were, they were trapped in there. That's there was so much took. oxygen in there that it would just sparked. That it just it sparked. Yeah. And yeah, that's, so, that's what it took to learn that, which is fucking tragic. Yeah, it's tragic. Know? But the thing is that that's space exploration is that like, it's dangerous. Yeah. This is us actually facing like frontiers and like genuine unhuman worlds that, you know, that are not for us. We are not for space. We're meant to breathe air on this tiny little rock. Amazing. Um, and so there's just something so touching about human exploration of space, but also like just knowledge of space. I, that's why every single time I see those um, real photos on Mars or on Titan or something of a probe landing and taking a real photo from the surface of a planet, I just, I just want to cry. Yeah. Because it's like, we've never, no one has ever seen that before. It's humanity. We sense that there. Humanity operating on a scale that is unimaginable. Yeah. It is, it, it's reaching beyond the world that birthed us, you yeah. know? Um, I think if I was, if I was going to simplify all of this stuff down, which I desperately need to on account of <laughs> how much this, this has caused me harm, I think <laughs> it would just be like space and the knowledge of space gives us context that is vitally important uh, to connect us all. I mean, Sam, mm. you just used the word spiritualism, right? Yeah. It is like the word spiritual has been sort of poached by so many different bad ideas and bad groups of people that have done harm to humanity. And I think like reclaiming that as a way to kind of connect all of us as individuals, as people on the planet is essential, especially in a time like now where people are becoming radicalized and we're all sort of like, there's a lot of opposition and a lot of like us having exposure to the internet, which arguably was possibly a bad idea um, <laughs> with the amount of information that we're just overloaded with every day. Uh, it's important for us to reconnect and to kind of like acknowledge that we are all this one species in this one tiny place and knowledge of space helps to kind of give us that. So if you go with the, the Brian Cox kind of quote of, we we all came from rocks and trees. Like I think the simplest way to interpret that is basically that that grind culture is stupid, and, <laughs> and that we should all yeah. just fucking calm down. Yeah, and we're all tending towards disorder. Let's let's just fucking <laughs> shrink our worlds to like appreciate the fact that like we have family and you know people that we care about around us, and that we're all a bunch of fucking apes uh, on on a rock on a pale blue dot, and we are all fucking connected. That is the spiritual element of space. And, and, and the, again, my conclusion here is just me desperately trying to shrink this down. But I think that's the cool thing about space is that like it is so far beyond our comprehension in size and scope that like the lesson that we as the freaking apes that we are can take away from it is that like home is nice. We are nice. Let's be nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. my takeaway from the whole thing. Please stop. Please. <laughs> Please. St can we stop? I don't think I have anything more to shock you with. Okay, thank fuck. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm hurting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, it's like it is a joyful thing and an important thing, but holy fuck, that just crushed my head. I think... <laughs> Thank you for listening, guys. I think I think that the, the next episode is going to be a whole lot of fun because what we've decided to do is basically split this concept into two almost opposing worlds. Oh, but not really. They're yeah. they're hand in hand, and that is we've, we've talked about the science of space in this episode. Next episode, which will be the the final episode of season two, we're going to be getting into science fiction. Uh, the 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 uh, the mirror, and indeed the, the almost the the 
the freaking forefather of some of our scientific knowledge yeah. and scientific advancement is in science fiction. It's also something that all three of us are fucking just total nerds about. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun and I can't wait for that one. I'm going to have to recover before we record that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, thanks for hanging out with us. I hope that this like blew your freaking mind in the way that it did mine. And I hope that you're okay. <laughs> that you're going to be fine. Everyone's going to be fucking fine. Um, go look at some of the photos that we talked about in this episode because they they are incredible like they, they are genuinely like mind-blowing look look at this photograph of earth that is where every human person that has ever lived in all of history lives the pale blue dot taken by voyager is my one of my favorites fuck oath yeah let's leave it at that before i have a heart attack <laughs> thank you sam's for being so amazing and putting up with my fucking pain uh you are the best that was a really challenging episode thank you all for listening i hope i hope that you had a great time and we'll uh we'll fucking yeah take care of each other <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon <laughs>